any bug that's flying around the room at any time, they'll be chasing along the vivarium as, as it goes around it. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to From the Ground Up Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So as we alluded to last week, we had the end of our fundraiser, our OCIC fundraiser. And thank you everyone who bought shirts. And next year we want to do it even bigger, but we raised over $400 for OCIC. It was my first time doing a fundraiser. There's kind of a lot of things I learned throughout the process. And next year I want to bring it to a whole nother level and hopefully... I mean, I want to eventually grow it to where we can make, while the podcast grows, while everything grows, I can make over $1,000 and we can fundraise every year over $1,000 for the OCIC or whatever, uh, you know, organization we choose to do going forward. So thank you everyone who participated in that. And um, we'll probably do it the same exact time next year. Maybe I'll just plan it a little bit better and, and we'll raise money. And so thank you guys so much for doing that. Other than that, PortCityPythons.com. I don't really have anything available. I have a Sumatran short tail python available, a male, if anyone's interested. Other than that, don't really have anything going on. We have a lot of eggs. Scott, I think, is going to buy the Sumatran short tail python. <laughs> so Scott was shaking his head when I was saying that. I'm not sure if that's because... She gave me a weird look. I love short tails, but I, uh, I don't have the space for any right now. Well, if you need one, you got the uh, Scott Borden price, of course. Oh, Ships. Ships right to your door. That's how, a lot, I mean That's how a lot of my friends have sold me animals. It's like, oh, I'll give you a special price. Yeah, great. At, at a certain point, you got to just pawn it off to a friend if it's not working out. So. Sure. And I've been the recipient to many good gifts as well as you probably have. Yeah, sadly. No, not sadly. No, like it's some of my best animals in the room are like that. Yeah, yeah, it's things that you kind of stumble into just because you have a friend getting out of something or transitioning from something into another thing. And all of us hurt people, I guess, go through species or categories of animals even. Like, you know, one day we're into turtles, then we're into snakes, then we're into different species of snakes. So, Been down that road. (laughs) (laughs) So we have had Scott on before. And he kind of gave us a little bit of intro on how he got into everything. We went through all that. So you guys want to check that out. He was uh, a long time ago, probably over a year ago. But we do have his wife, Valerie, with us. So, Valerie, welcome to the podcast for the first time. And can you give us a little overview of how you first got involved with Reptiles? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I probably started about five years ago now. Um I've always loved animals, um, but I was never allowed to have any reptiles um, in my house. My mom would not allow it. Um, so when I met Scott, um, he obviously had reptiles, and I kind of grew pretty fond of them. Um, it did start with a snake that um, I called dibs on from an egg. Um, it hatched out. I still have it to this day. It's a ball python, nothing crazy. Um, And then I kind of transitioned into geckos, um, specifically gargoyle geckos. Um, I keep many different species now, um, everything from Saracenorum 
to lychees, to chihuahuas, um, the electric blue day geckos, the neon day geckos, also known as clemeri. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I plan on getting other stuff eventually, but that's kind of where I am right now. Forgive my ignorance, but I do not know what that first word was, the one with the S. Can you say that again? Sonorum. So what is a Sarasonorum? So a Sarasonorum is basically the cousin to the Crested Gecko. Um, they're from New Caledonia, but they're like 10 times quicker than a Crested Gecko. <laughs> so does it have a similar appearance and keeping? Is the keeping similar to a Crested Gecko? Uh, the keeping is exactly the same. Um, they look kind of like a cross between a crested and a gargoyle. Um, their head's a little more streamlined. It's not as um, square. They don't have the um, eyelashes or the prongs on them. Um, and they're much larger. So do you feed those the kind of fruit mix or is that more insect uh, oriented? Um, they'll pretty much eat anything, but... Um, a mix between dubia roaches, uh, crickets, uh, pangea, rapashi. They'll eat all of it. And how, do you guys have a pair? Have you bred those? I haven't bred them yet. I actually have three juveniles and a, a, a pair, uh, adult pair. Now, for all of your geckos, do you typically, do you house them in breeding groups or do you house them separately? Um, I house everything separate just because... Um, the risk that's involved with housing geckos together. Uh, gargoyles, gargoyles do have very sharp teeth actually as adults and they can break the skin and uh, ruin each other's eyeballs. And they're, they're kind of, I would say aggressive when they breed um, to a degree, uh, they are pretty rough. So it's not worth the risk to me. Just the and clamorire together. That's the only thing here together. And what is, what's kind of the thoughts? Is that just a species that does particularly well together? Yeah, they do pretty well for us. We keep them in a family unit. We have an adult pair and we let them breed and we pretty much let them raise the babies for, what do you think, six months maybe? Yeah, maybe a little less than that uh, when they get to a certain size. Then we move them over to a, a separate uh, enclosure, uh, just a smaller vivarium, and I usually will sell them out of that. And do you guys have to, as far as the breeding goes... Um, is that kind of a seasonal thing or do they breed all year round? How many clutches that can they have? Which ones? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I guess we should go, um, in order. They're all so... pretty much seasonal, but I mean, yeah, they're all pretty much seasonal. And they, do, they breed most of the year. I mean, in our room, they will breed, I don't know, how many months out of the year you think, babe? Six to eight, yeah. usually. I do cool my gargoyles down over the winter um, so that they can have the chance to re-up their calcium deposits. It makes for better eggs um, during the breeding season. So no matter what, are you just trying to get females a certain amount of time off just to make sure? Yeah, um, I mean, at least for my gar gargoyles and New Caledonia geckos, um, I would try to give them at least six months off um, just to get their weight up and everything else. So when, I mean, someone's getting into these rare geckos, I mean, how did you figure out like what you liked or what first attracted you to them? Um, I mean, my friends send me pictures 
And then I show her, and she goes, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And then we buy all of them. That's why there's more geckos in the room than snakes. That's fair. <laughs> or we well, have you have to give us geckos and be like, here, give, here, Val takes great care of geckos. Here, have these. That's happened too. And how do you, because obviously we can see, if people can see in the YouTube video, there's like these awesome naturalistic looking vivariums. So how do you set them up? And uh, what are general like housing requirements? So behind us right here, up, up these two are the, uh, the two main day gecko vivariums. Uh, one's the Clemeriah neon day geckos and the other is the electric blue. Uh, we only have a male electric blue. If anyone out there has a female, hit your boy up. I need one because we were supposed to have we were supposed to get a a proven pair, and ended up being both males. One was just uh, dominant over the other one. Ended up almost trying to kill the other one, so we had to sell the less dominant male. And then poof, the magic happened, and there's no more females anywhere. I missed one the other night by like. 30 seconds he's like ah it's already pretty much spoken for him like you just posted it it's it's ridiculous but so can you explain a little bit of like because just if anyone saw this animal they would be like holy shit let's be honest because it's just eye-catching uh can you give us a little overview of like how they look and the size and everything like that they're small they're not you saw the electric blues specifically yeah. yeah they're not very big uh maybe what, are they, what do you think? Three inches tops, maybe? Yeah, three inches tops. They're not a big echo. They're kind of a lot, like a lot of the smaller big echoes, and they're like the most ridiculous. Well, the males are the most ridiculous blue um, with like black throat. The color is just, it's, it's insane. It's like the just perfect blue you can imagine. And then uh, females are usually like a, they kind of range from like a, a, dull, a much duller blue to more of a, a green tinted color. But, and do babies come out a different color or do they come out that electric blue if they're a male? No, they come out looking the same, which is the pain in the ass part. Because if I want a female, it needs to be a female, it needs to be an adult. I can't buy a baby and grow it up right now because, I mean, I could. I could buy a whole bunch of babies and grow them up. That Those are available, but I'm looking for, you know, an adult female that's proven or at least sexable. And that's there is there is none available out there. And is this something because when I'm thinking of a small animal, I would think that like maybe it would take less time to grow them up. But clearly you're not looking to do that. How long would it take to grow up a, a female? Um, It doesn't take that long. It's just, you know, it's just cost effective and where space effective for us to have space to grow them up. But the day geckos, they grow pretty quick. I mean, you know, think about it in nature. They kind of need to grow up quick and get their wits about them kind of quick. So they will grow relatively uh, fast. I mean, not super, super fast, but like I said, in, in six months, like with the neons, they're probably, they're certainly not full grown, but they're maybe half, half their full grown size, maybe a little more, give or take their genetics and how much they're eating and all that. But so generally within a, within a year, you're going to have a breedable animal. Oh, yeah, I would think so. And obviously they only get like three inches big. So how small are they when they start? Oh, they're tiny. like the size of like your my pinky nail. I mean, they're very tiny. Cutest thing you ever saw in your life. <laughs> How do you not lose it? Oh, they get out. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if there's a single person. Well, the electric blue actually, we had did get one electric blue get out, 
Uh, Electric Blues suck because they're fucking fast. The Clemeri are not bad. They're just, as long as you understand how to handle them, they're not going to uh, sprint away from you or, like, suicide jump. They're just, they are moving, but they're going to just stick to jumping on stuff. They're not going to jump from you to the floor. But, uh, dude, the Clemeri, which we breed all year, or, well, most of the year regularly, every once in a while, baby will get out or something will get out. I just, when I took our air conditioner out in the fall, I took the air conditioner out and there was one that was actually on the outside underneath the air conditioner. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I couldn't believe it. And it was, it was chilly. I mean, it was cold at night. I don't, I still don't know, but so I grabbed him or her and got it inside. And that one did good. It grew up and sold it on a while later. It actually came around good, but every once in a while they do get out. That is crazy. So what are you, um, I've seen people do, like tackle boxes have you ever seen that with little gecko eggs and whatnot they're right behind you you can't see it but they're right behind you so you guys do that something similar like you have compartmentalized so you can put the i'm guessing they lay in pairs yeah most of the time they lay in pairs that's the bigger that's the bigger geckos the neons we just let them they just lay eggs in the cage right in the bamboo and do you monitor that at all you just kind of let it happen the day geckos no they just lay eggs and then one day you walk in, there's two very tiny little babies, two more babies in there. You're like, oh, new babies. Do you have any idea how long it takes them to, to incubate as far as the eggs go? Um, what do you think? No more than 90 days. Yeah, probably no more than 90. It's hard because what happens is she, she just lays regularly in there, maybe once a month. So it's there's a slowdown during the winter for like three months, but for nine months of the year, it's just pretty much constant. There's new eggs, new babies, new eggs, new babies, new eggs, new babies. We let the babies grow up. We move the bigger ones over and more hatch. So it's, we don't really keep track of it, but yeah, I'd say no more than 90 days where she lays the eggs has a lot to do with that though, with the temperature, but she lays them up. There's a, I don't know if you really see in the video, probably not, but the top bamboo piece, uh, is pretty close under the lights so it's probably pretty optimal temperature wise in there too so it's it's pretty steady um and pretty regular with the probably the amount of days i would guess but we don't really track it there's just a pile of eggs in the bamboo that we can see and two at a time hatch so well that sounds easy i mean no one can complain about that no they've been pretty easy to keep and heat wise it looks like you have lighting on them Uh, what are you doing for heat and lighting so I set them up with uh, three three different types of lighting. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard of uh, Frank Payne. He does uh, he did Electric Blues big time, and he does a lot of other cool shit. But he turned me on with his uh, article about keeping Electric Blues to these puck lights. And uh, so I use those for heat with the day geckos now, because you can get them at Home Depot, or I get them offline, and uh, you just hook them up to like a like the old slide dimmer with a lamp, like a lamp, lamp dimmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just adjust it with a temp gun to where you want it for the basking area. So I set up a basking area with that. And then I have um, LED lights and also UV strip lights, high output, a lot of light on those. And now UV, not a question, it's required or is I that kind so. of a debated? Absolutely. That- the day geckos, these at least these two species, I, I'd say absolutely. Um, they do very well with it. And, they're, and you think about it, they're probably like 
high sunshine bamboo loving species so they're out in the sun all day it just makes sense and then what's the the cycle typically like as far as the uh, light cycle oh i don't know i just 12 on 12 off yeah that's i don't really change i don't change the light cycles with them and now your your temperature is literally just being adjusted by that light i mean that's your only heat source yeah, well, they also the like the LED light and the uh, other one will give uh, a pretty decent gradient, especially along that top bamboo. And then uh, they have some bamboo in the back that they can bask at at a higher, a pretty high temp. Uh, oh, what do I set that up? I think mid nineties. I set the basking up something like that. And then, um, yeah, they're all the upper area of the cage is is very much in the eighties, upper eighties to mid eighties. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a really good temperature gradient. But as long as you keep the top of the cage especially warm with them, they do very well. And how do you keep proper gradient in? Like, I know a lot of people keep them in like 12 by 12s even. I mean, how do you keep proper gradient in something that small? I guess as a snake person, we're not used to working with those smaller dimensions for an adult animal, especially a group of animals. Well, we keep our group in, uh, what are these, babe? 18... 24, 24, 36. No, these are, that's those. I don't think so. I think those are 24 tall. But they're they're definitely, because that's 12 by 12 by 18. So, yeah, we keep the bigger, uh, the bigger bids are 18 by 18 by 24, I think. Um, but you'd be surprised. I mean, as long as, especially with these, you're, you're doing a, a gradient top down, but also away from the heat. Like, they have the basking area. But then the other lights away from the basking area create that, that nice warm temp, but not hot, but nice warm temp. And then they really want to cool down, which they will go and eat bugs down below and stuff. But oh, yeah, speaking of which, let's go over a little bit of diet of the uh, day geckos. Uh, Pangea. And then uh, fruit flies, right? What's those little flies? Fruit flies. And then... Uh, Really small, ti the tiniest of the tiny uh, dubia nymphs. Uh, usually the babies can maybe take, they're usually a little too small for the dubia nymphs, so they usually got to grow a little bit before they can really take a nymph down, but, um, or like pinhead, pinhead crickets. Basically little bugs and then pangea, a lot of pangea. So, yeah, I didn't know that they would take that kind of a fruit mix. I thought they were insectivores. Dude, they love it. Go on my Instagram and look at the videos of them. They just sit there and just lap it up. It's funny. That's awesome. And as an adult, I mean, what can they graduate to as far as uh, size of cricket and whatnot? Still small. I don't feel – there's still a small gecko. So, yeah, like really still doobie and nymphs. Um, and then crickets, you know, small crickets the adults can do. Um and fruit flies, they love fruit flies when I can get them. But they'll chase moths around. If there's like a moth or something, any any bug that's flying around the room at any time, they'll be chasing along the, the vivarium as the, as it goes around it. And do you have to calcium dust them, vitamins, anything like that? Every once in a while we do, yeah. But they do pretty good with just the diet we give them. They have huge calcium sacs. The females got big calcium sacs, so they do pretty well just with the normal diet. So, as a snake person, what the hell is a calcium sack? I'll let you take that one. 
Um, so the calcium sacs are just like buildups, um, basically behind where their eyes would be kind of, um, I guess where our thyroid gland would be. Um, it kind of helps them through, um, when they're laying eggs through breeding, um, and that kind of depletes over time, um, you know, during the breeding season. Um, and then the, in the off season, they kind of build them back up. They get pretty big actually, um, for, for the size of their body. Um, sometimes it's kind of scary looking, but um, it's definitely a normal part of, of the gecko's life. So, I can't believe how many people on a Facebook group have asked if their gecko has a tumor or something. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> Facebook groups can be tough. Because I would, I think. <laughs> I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Well, that's been... normal. I mean, that's part of it. That's what a lot of people haven't understood on Facebook is that they forgot what it was like when they first started and didn't know shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't ask those type of questions anymore, but there's still a lot of shit I don't know. Like, if I go into it, I can go into a group tomorrow about, who knows, some sort of lizard I haven't kept before, and I, I'll have no idea. A lot of people forget that. They think everybody is, is at their level. So. Right, and that's something that I've been, I think, at a lot of times, we all have, like, we over-talk like I've been trying to, especially on like Instagram and stuff, because obviously you have a, a good following on Instagram as well. But it's like we need to get to the point where we're talking to like the lowest common denominator, but also appealing to people who are in the hobby. It's hard because I don't want to over speak, you we know, and have people 90, not know. We forget about the 90 percent. Yeah, if not higher. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I've said it higher. I mean, I, I've said it up to, you know, 98 percent of the people that keep reptiles are not you or me or her they're the pet keeper with one animal two animal they're not in the they don't consume their lives with the reptile content like we do and they don't have to let's be honest i mean you don't have to and that's fine but a lot of people forget that when they're online you get those online muscles yeah so I need to get myself back on track. Foliage. It looks like you have some foliage back there. Um, what kind of plants are you looking at? And what are you trying to achieve with it? Uh, so when I build vivariums, which is usually for geckos, <laughs> um, I use um, two, two main plants I like to use are the, uh, the snake plant. And don't ask me this, the, the more official name. Um, I, I, I I'm not a plant guy, so I don't know the... Like, Latin names are nothing, man. Yeah, <laughs> but I use snake plants and then the pothos. Just they're just super easy, and they just grow, and they're very hardy. Um, there's a couple others I'll throw in there. I have bamboo in one for some reason, and then um, bromeliads. Bromeliads, bromeliads are good too. But um, yeah, with, with any of the vivariums, it's just about cover and as natural as possible. Like the clemeri are a big um, bamboo loving species, so the bamboo is is really important, but you know, you put enough plants in there so they have that much more territory. And uh, every once in a while, you'll see a little bit of a territorial dispute or an age dispute. Once they get a little older, you might see the a couple males go at it. So the more plants and stuff in there, it just allows them to kind of separate. If there's an issue like that, get away from one another and stuff like that. But it's just structure. It's just stuff like that. Have you had them actually hurt each other in any way? Uh, we've had one or two lose their tails, but I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure that was from them. It could have been, um, or it could have got pinched 
because their bamboo is split in some places and sometimes it'll swell a little almost shut um, depending on the, the humidity and stuff so it could have gotten pinched or they could have but it's very rare uh, gargoyles is a different story she's had some some gargoyles not not doing any permanent damage but breed, breeding yeah i've breeding had a couple fun. that have like hairs in their cornea or you know you can see it on where the color is and you can see that it's it's from either um a bite or from um they do have claws actually because that's how they hold on to like branches and sometimes it'll just pull a little too much and that is just during normal breeding behavior just the male bites the neck of the female or yeah normal breeding behavior uh uh, sometimes they're a little rough, almost to the point where you, you kind of think that they're kind of in distress. Um, but it is a normal part of their breeding behavior. And the female will allow him to do it as long as she's receptive to him. So that's one of those things. I mean, it's probably similar with with snakes, at least on the colubrid front, uh, especially king snakes. You know, they bite the neck of their mate and they are very forceful. And uh, that typically doesn't happen unless the female's receptive. Um, is that the same in geckos as far as if she's not letting off those pheromones, if she's not ready to receive the male, then he's typically not as interested? Um, no, the males are pretty hard. <laughs> um, they do call a lot, like he'll let out a call and, uh, depending on her mood, if she's not feeling it, it'll be a long, like almost like forceful no call. Um, it's, it's completely different. Um, she kind of like shuts him down right away some of it's individualistic too like certain animals like we could put together and you wouldn't be worried about it at all and there's other ones where you know that, that first night especially we'll be in here watching more and especially early in the season we'll see how they go how they go together and stuff so are they audibly calling all the time or is that something that happens often um Every once in a while, I'll walk in and I'll hear a call, not knowing where it came from, but um, the males will call from their other tub. Uh, it might be halfway across the room, but they will they will call for the females. And is that typically during a, a certain time as far as during the breeding season? I mean, they know it's the breeding season and they're ready to go. Um, I think they do know that it's the breeding season, obviously, because of pheromones and, and whatnot, but... Um, sometimes you do hear them when you don't expect to hear them. And pairing, because I don't know, for some reason, when, when I kept crested geckos, I was under the impression that you kept them in like groups, but how do you actually pair if you were to do it the right way, which I'm sure you're doing it the right way. And I did it the wrong way. How do you pair, uh, some people do it that way. I know yeah, some of the bigger breeders, a do lot it. of big breeders keep them in, in, um, trios or, or bigger groups. The only thing for me is um, I like to know which female was paired, you know, where the eggs came from, I guess, like when they actually get to laying their eggs. Like I want to be able to give my customer like, this is the female that it came from. This is the male that she was paired with. And, and, you know, this is what the grandparents look like, or, you know, basically like lineage, I guess. She's watched a big daddy breed jungles for a few years and she sees what's important. How does it feel now though that Scott's not producing anything and you're producing all these geckos? Um she works more than me. I know. I mean it's a little different. I mean 
I get excited for babies no matter what, whether it's the baby carpets or, or you know, the littlest tiny day gecko or if it's gargoyle geckos. The only day that she likes my jungles is the days the eggs hatch. <laughs> <laughs> we're for, we're for good friends with like Mike Hurd and all the other jungle guys. She's seen some of the best jungles in the world ever, and she'll be like, "Ah!" Eh. But when they hatch, it's full on excitement. Like she'll come in the room and get me if I'm still in bed or something. There's babies. She there's nothing she loves more than babies hatching. Doesn't matter what it is. And that's when they look the worst too. True story. That's a true story. <laughs> She's seen some black and yellow stuff that is just straight fire, but. When they come out of the egg, they're cute little babies. She's all about it. Doesn't matter what it is. And I guess, and also, you were saying about how you're taking this season off all this, but I mean, you still get to hatch out animals, though. It's still under your roof. You get to hang out and hatch out little geckos and things that you're interested oh, yeah. in, anyhow. There's always, there's always with the geckos. It's crazy because with the geckos, stuff's pretty much always hatching here. <laughs> it's all the time. Like right now, it's kind of slow, but like in another thirty days or so. The day geckos are going to start hatching and the gargoyle eggs are going to start coming more and hatching more. And then there's a, there's a point like mid to late summer where it just gets ridiculous or every day she's texting me and there's new babies hatching or there's new eggs and then they come in waves, man. <laughs> How big is your, is your group of geckos? Do you know? Can you give a ballpark number wise? Um, The geckos are behind you. She's counting. I them. mean, I have like 14 adults and one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> She's counting. Oh, they're still going. Juveniles to babies. Oh, so that's not bad. I mean, no. and then I have the golden geckos and the day geckos, which aren't even in those numbers. <laughs> yeah, that was just like her gargoyle the geckos. Then we have like. Seven or eight crested geckos around the room, uh, golden geckos, and a group of golden geckos, a group of Saracenorum geckos, uh, one leaf tail that I'm selling soon. But uh, um, why? Two uh... in the house, a tortoise in the house. Oh, so you guys have? I didn't even. I didn't know you had a tortoise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got her tortoise. Is that what you say, or is that is that your excuse to get new animals? No, nah, or... no, I'm on the tortoise. I, mean, I, I, I'm always good for whatever. I mean, now if, <laughs> if more gargoyle geckos, there's more gargoyle geckos. That's lost its luster, but uh, I'm always. That's the problem with us. And if you're listening, having a significant other sounds great in the hobby until it actually happens to you, and then neither one of you can say no to each other, and it gets out of control. But uh, yeah, no, I got our tortoise. I don't even know when did we get flashed a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago now, three years ago now, maybe. And uh, she wanted a tortoise. So I bought her a tortoise for a holiday or something. I thought Christmas, I got it for Christmas. So, but it, it must be fun at least having someone who is also into it, but also she was a bit newer to it and you got to expose her to all these different things. And then she's figuring out all this stuff all these new species of geckos and stuff that she, I'm sure she didn't know before. Maybe even you didn't know before. And like, did that give you like a new spark as far as towards like reptile keeping? I think I've said it before on the, on your podcast and maybe a couple other podcasts. And I, some days I have more fun watching her these days and I still have fun, but like I'm perfectly fine watching her grow and do all that with the stuff than 
then we're I, I'm in a different stage in in, in uh, my keeping and, and my hobby lifetime, if you will. Uh, that's I'm trying to do different things now, and she's she's coming up in it. She's put together this crazy, ridiculous group of gargoyle geckos. She's killing that. Like the baby she's producing, like she did it the right way, right? Like she got a couple for free, but like she she's going out and spending some good money on some nice animals and she's done it really right. And she's gotten some top notch stuff, breeding some really great looking babies. So she's crushing it. So, yeah, I think that's one of those things where you get the, the fortune of telling her all those mistakes that we all made as far as, uh, you know, we bought 10 males with three females and, uh, you know, we were always male heavy or we just got this, carpet python that was undescribed and we all have one of those and yeah somewhat i mean she just uh, she just buys up nice geckos and <laughs> it's not even like she's gonna buy heavy on one sex like every once in a while like she, males are a little bit harder to get sometimes she just bought one from rack house that's really nice but um but i try to guide her of course i mean i've been doing this 20 years and um i'm, I'm you know if there's any issues she usually will come to me and but honestly she's she's figured it out real quick she's she's very good with the geckos and uh, i don't have to do much unless there is an issue and i try to help out the best i can but also at the same time geckos isn't 100 percent my thing like snakes and like pythons like I, i'll tell you what the problem is 100 percent. but geckos i don't always know the problem 100 percent. so i can only do so much but she does very well awesome so you said males are kind of hard to come by is that something to where um I don't know if cresteds and gargoyles are temperature dependent as far as incubation goes. Does that, uh, as far as uh, incubating for sex? Um, so they haven't quite figured out um, if it works that way. I know it works that way with leeches, um, but gargoyles, they haven't quite figured it out. Um, so the males are kind of hard to come by sometimes or somebody's just kind of scooping up all the mail that they can find. That's it's usually like, I don't know, that's interesting to me because I don't think that's a problem a lot of other places in the hobby. Is that just because, uh, do you know why that is in particular? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't really understand the question. Yeah, like, is a male more sought after for, like, does one male go to a bunch of females and therefore, like, you have one stud male and are you just very choosy about that or? Um, so... I mean, if you can find a killer male, I mean, you're pretty much in like Flynn. Um, like I have one crazy red male that I might breed with five females for a certain reason, whether it's um, the the color that I'm looking for or the, the boldness of the stripe. Um, there might be different things that I'm looking at that I'm trying to, I guess, um, breed specifically for um so people do do that or they have different projects for for different reasons i think i worded it wrong i mean they're tough to find the right male yeah can be tough it's kind of like carpets right like once a carpet becomes black and yellow or the jungle becomes black and yellow it becomes a little bit harder to find those ones that are black and yellow already you know sometimes you gotta buy it younger so a lot of the gargoyles you're gonna see for sale are not sexed or maybe sex right in that gray area until they hit what is it, 12 grams about 20 grams oh 20 or 20 grams to sex them um so you know after that then 
the breeder is going to keep what he wants and all the nice males are going to be where they want. So I think so it's either take your shot early and take a chance or wait to get kind of uh, it may not be first pick. Yeah. And that's something that I mean, that's tough for for animals that I mean, ask green tree people or, you know, animals that change over time, obviously, or even animals that you can't sex. I guess that's the same thing with the green trees. Um, so what are you looking for as far as genetics go? Are the genetics passed on, you know, like we see it, incomplete, dominant, recessive, all that stuff in, in gargoyle geckos? geckos? Um, no, they kind of just throw out whatever they want. <laughs> um, I do have some that have hatched out that may be almost an exact replica or might look like dad or might look like mom. And then I have ones that I'm like, where the heck did you come from? Like, you don't look like any of your parents. Um, so they kind of just throw out whatever. It's like Amazon tree bows, polymorphic. That's the right word. Polymorphic. And are, are you just, are you more likely to, if you breed a red male, are you more likely to get reds or are you still kind of what the fuck? Can you line breed them at all? I think so. Yeah. I think, yeah, you can, I think there is line breeding. I mean, that's, it's like anything else is polymorphic. You can line breed and try to go down that road to, to get what you want more and more and more. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's very much like, uh, Amazon tree boas or, uh, stuff like that. It's not simple genetics. Yeah. I mean, it is. Most part. I don't know. I don't know if the lily white crested, uh, there's a few things with crested and, and girls. I'm not sure about. She might, I don't, she doesn't, she doesn't pay enough attention on more. Yeah, she doesn't really pay attention. She just breeds nice-looking animals and gets yeah. nice-looking animals. I remember, man, I forget who the guy was. A big, a big crested gecko guy. Um, he had an exanthic uh, probably five years ago or so, or maybe six years ago. I don't know whatever came of that. I don't know if you've heard about that. I just saw some recently. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, they come around. I and again, I don't know the genetics of it. I they might be simple genetics like the snakes and stuff but they might not be but i know a lot of the basics with like her gargoyles and even cresteds or all these people like oh it's it, they they talk morphs but it's that's not really the right word I, it's more like polymorphic stuff where it's it's not simple genetics not simple recessives and, and codoms and all that but i saw i saw an exanthic recently i don't i don't know what the what the mode of inheritance is, is. even the phantom eye yeah, the Phantom Eyes is pretty cool. She's got a... What does that mean? Let me explain it. So the Phantom Eye is basically... Um, it's a trait that develops over time. Um, they're not quite sure what causes it, but it causes dark or black eyes um, in the gecko. Um, not like pitch black. Um, they do vary in color from like a dark, dark gray to a black. Um, but they're not sure if um if it's a genetic thing where you can breed um um a phantom eye to another phantom eye and then you'll get phantom eyes they're not quite sure what causes it yet but it is popping up in a lot of collections lately and they're not born with it either yeah and they're not born it develops over time what the fuck it's cool <laughs> it's yeah, like I, i'd never heard of it until obviously her she was getting into get her gargoyles and stuff and she wanted one and now she has a, a Shoot, I think the powerhouse breeder male in the room is a phantom eye, but I think they're getting close to trying to figure it out. But apparently, it's in Crested's also, right? I've heard someone told me this. I think last Carbon Fest we were talking about it, and uh, I was talking about it with Eric actually because he's got the poison ivy babies, and it's 
he said at last I knew it was something similar where they're developing over time and getting darker. And he was wondering if maybe there's some correlation because I said, oh, the, the phantom eyes, they come out, you would never know. And then a couple of years down the road, all of a sudden their eye, their eye starts going black over, I don't even know what the time period is, how fast it happens. I think it's relatively fast. And then, I mean, though. much like, you know, the IMG bow is, it's not something that we haven't seen before, so... Okay, I don't, I don't know bows very well. It's uh, the in, they call it the, the IMG for increasing uh, melanin gene. Oh, so, okay. so it basically just, I didn't know that until just now. <laughs> so basically, it just guy, man. it guy. just gets blacker. So that's huh. just a fancy way to say that, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's what Eric's got. I don't know. I'll have to see yeah, at least it's something. working in a in a similar way. So you know that it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's in the realm of possibility that it could happen. But yeah. I think what's fun, though, is that you like found out that everyone found out, hey, this is inheritable, these black eyes. But guess what? You can't tell it until later. So like, yeah, we kind of figured something out. But just like all the other gecko things, it's not figured out at all. Yeah. (laughs) Just like a lot of stuff isn't figured out at all, man. Yeah, that's true. I guess a lot of us are just believing like we have it uh, figured out in more ways than, than we actually do. Oh, sure, sure. And it's, I guess it's a lot more effective to market an animal for sale, acting like you know what's going on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I guess that's the issue. People want to buy from people that are more confident, I guess. But, but yeah, even with the phantom eyes, like she'll, she'll put on there that it was, it was produced by a phantom eye parent. And, you know, most people know, like if they don't know, she'll explain that to them. And then if they do know, they know it's who knows. I think there is some people I thought. It wasn't Paul keeping a group. Paul's keeping a group. Um, he also thinks that it's it's somewhat, I think, related to the gene that causes blue eyes in <laughs> gargoyles, because gargoyles can have either silver, blue tinged, purple tinged, or black eyes. There, there's a wide array, um, as well as red looking eyes as well. Wow, Seems to me, I didn't know that. And is this something that's sought after at all? Or is it just fun? Um, people will pray will pay a pretty penny for the black eyed animals, um, the phantom eyes. Um, but as far as the other colors, not really. <laughs> not really. Um, it's just kind of in the eye of the beholder, I guess. And speaking of which, I mean, what do you prefer in say I've seen so many different kinds of, especially crested geckos, but gargoyle geckos also. What kind of projects are you working with? What kind of morphs in quotation? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, the morph thing is kind of loose. It's not really uh, as set in stone as like a crested. Um, um, I prefer the stripes, to be honest with you. Um, But I have a bunch of different projects. I have a yellow project. I have a red stripe project. I have, um, I'm going to do an orange stripe project. Um, I have a super blotch project. Um, I kind of have, every year I kind of mix it around a little different um, to breed for different things after I've seen the outcome for the season of, of basically what hatches out. Um, and I'm always changing it up. Is there is there something to um, throwing the different things together to see what comes out? 
Oh, of course. I mean, it's always interesting. I mean, I might have two animals or three animals that I might not have a specific project for. And I'm like, well, I'll just put them together and see what happens. And it's always something interesting. I think, I think no matter what, I mean, there's people who prefer a certain look to another, but I don't, th I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be like an ugly gargoyle gecko or crested. If people, people just like the, the way that they look, if that's a weird thing to, I don't know if you know what I mean, but just like their body structure, their head, their giant eyes. And, uh, they're just an awesome looking animal, no matter what color they are, what pattern, what mutation or whatever. She loves them. <laughs> she loves the gargoyle geckos. And we didn't go in on how to keep gargoyle geckos, crested geckos. So crested gargoyles, are they kept relatively similar? Um, yeah, they're pretty similar. Um, I kind of keep most of my adults in all-access plastic tubs, the Rubbermaid tubs. Um, first of all, it's easy to open the door and just gain access to the tub for cleaning or whatever. Um, plus I can see them. It also gives them some privacy because I buy the black ones from each other. Um, whereas if I had like the exos next to each other, they could either see the other and kind of stress each other out or whatever. Um, uh, there's no supplemental heat, uh, although it is kind of um, common for a lot of people to give them a basking area. Um, I don't, I have LEDs in my tanks and my tubs. Um, a lot of surface area. They like surface area, especially when they're breeding, you want to give them as much surface area as possible. Um, just so the female can get away from that, uh, that, uh, over eager male. Definitely. Um, I give them a humid hide um, for shedding, for uh, laying eggs, uh, getting away from the male, whatever they might need, as well as perching areas. And how, or heat-wise? Uh, whatever the ambient uh, temperature is in the room, no, no supplemental heat. Our room swings seasonally, so like this time of year and in the summer, it gets pretty warm, um, around 80. And then the, the tubs might be a little warmer with the lights in there. And then um, seasonally during the winter, it's usually low 70s, upper 60s on the coldest of days. Uh, but, yeah, that's about it, upper 60s to low 70s during the winter. And then, yeah, like I said, up to about 80. I don't really let it get above 80 um, at the warmest because I don't like that. I don't like having it too warm for just my snakes. I like them to have access to cooler temperatures. <clears throat> so that's why and that. you're not but you're not worried too much about the fluctuation of temperatures or anything with them no not really um i mean it's not usually too much of a dramatic effect um in the winter i do want it to be cooler because i am cooling them and giving them um a chance to stop laying eggs and to recuperate that calcium deposits um in their little sacks um behind their eyes um, but they would naturally cool in the wild. So I want to replicate that as much as possible. And then egg wise, obviously you have, uh, eggs right now. Is it just room temperature? Yep. Just room temperature. Any idea on the time frame of when those hatch out? 
Um, those could be anywhere from 90 days to upwards of 150 days. Um, it obviously depends on temperature and when they're laid. Um, the room will be warmer, obviously, when the summer comes. So um, those eggs may hatch quicker to the ones that were maybe laid a month or two ago. And now, obviously, those aren't as dramatic as the little day geckos, but still small babies. Uh, what is the care for a, uh, a hatchling garg and uh, crusty gecko? Um, so I pretty much just set them up in a little shoebox tub um, with a paper towel, moist paper towel, uh, water, food. Um, I usually use fake foliage, uh, just like a little piece about this big, just enough to make them feel comfortable. And I kind of just like let them do their thing. And is that typically um, like the foliage? Is that like dollar store flower type of thing? Or is there a particular uh, foliage that you use? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the dollar store stuff is perfectly fine. Um, I find that for me, uh, because I have so many babies during the year that I just buy the long wreath or um, I don't even know what you call those things. Um, garland type, yeah. I guess. Um, and I just kind of snip pieces of it off. It's it's just a little cheaper in the end. Plus, I use the coupon at the craft stores. <laughs> nice. <Sure. laughs> I think that, that but that's important for people to know. Like, if someone new was getting into it and like they're gonna go to PetSmart and buy this little piece of foliage for like ten bucks when it's really just the same thing. It's just a plastic, it's the same plastic plant, you know? 100%. We'll, fi we'll fill, like, probably a dozen hatchling tubs for that $10 that you're going to fill one little cage or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's just one of those things. Like she said, she'll, she'll we'll, dollar store, uh, Christmas tree shop has it sometimes. Yeah, it all depends what you want. That's where I've gotten the bamboo from, uh, Christmas tree shop in, uh, what's the other one? Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby, like they have a, you can buy the whole stalks of uh, bamboo and then you just cut them to whatever the length is. But yeah, and see, stuff like that. This whole time, I thought that that was, I don't know if you've seen those like exoterras that come with the fake bamboo. No. Um, I thought that that's, that but it same function and probably cheaper. Well, it's cool with those. I don't know how those are, but with these, I'll cut them. I like, you can sometimes buy a piece that's already split. And I actually like the split piece because it's just literally, it's split and it's like perfect. The geckos can go in and out of that little split. I've also taken a Dremel tool and I've cut little square accesses so they can get into the bamboo and hide and stuff like that. So I don't know. I don't think you can really, I don't think the uh, bamboo you would buy at the, at the pet store would be like that. It's probably a whole solid piece or something like that. It's fake. But these are all hollow. So it's 100% it's natural. And is there a certain point where you need to replace those or can you, can you actually wash them out and reuse them? I usually the main vivarium I don't mess with, which is why I like to move the babies over. So it's easier to get them out on shipping day <laughs> because uh, usually if I'm not taking the day off from work to ship a whole bunch of shit, uh, if I have to come home by the time I get home, it's um, it's a little bit after five o'clock and then I, you know where I live and then I have to go all the way down to Newburgh to the airport but I have to box the animal up first and all that. So usually I'll, we'll move the day geckos over to a much, it's still naturalistic. It's still everything they need, but it's just, I built it 
so it's easier to get the geckos out than the main vivarium without messing everything up. So all I do is I wait until the geckos are on the roof of the main vivarium and I put a deli cup to capture them in it. And then uh, I move them over to the other one. It's way easier to get them out of. But uh, Yeah, is there any chance at a hands-on situation with those little day geckos or are they super skittish? No, they're not bad. Honestly, once I got... I thought they were until I got the electric blue. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, these really aren't bad. Uh, and actually, the last time I just recently shipped out, uh, what did we send out? Five, three, five, six. It's like six of the Clemeri uh, recently. And uh, I was much, just much more forward with this time with not grabbing them, but getting them on my hands. And they're really not bad. Once you're on your hands, they're not super quick. And once you understand how they're going to move and what they're going to do, it's actually very simple. Like I said, they don't they don't do that. Like uh, the golden geckos and the Saracenorums, they like to do that suicide jump. They don't care where they're going to jump. They're just they're just going to fly away. They're just going. Uh, the Clemori don't do that. They're very particular and very. Um, what's the word I'm looking it's for? Almost like they're calculating their next move. Yeah, calculated. They're very calculated with what their jump is. So if they're going to jump off of you, they're going to just you can see their minds working. They're just jumping to your other hand or something else. They're not going to just jump to the floor, like suicide. Just who cares where I'm going? I'm, I'm leaving type thing. They're really not bad. So God, I don't know how people deal with the electric blues. I can't even imagine trying to deal with those. I haven't had to yet, but uh, the Clemori are very easy to deal with. Yeah. The worst thing I, or, you know, just opening up a deli cup and trying to get the tiny little gecko in there. I mean, and it trying to, it just seem would seem like a nightmare if you're trying to do it any type of number. Yeah, it's not like I said the Clemori aren't too bad, but there's a few other gecko species here that suck. The Saracenorum, uh, out of the we have three young ones that are a pain in the ass, and usually I'm in the room when we're cleaning them just because they're very fast, and I'm I have more of that confidence of the grab than she has yet. So when they go sprinting away, I I do the grabbing. But uh, one out of the three is fine, but the other two are little sprinters. And uh, golden geckos suck, too. They're speedy little demons. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. And the the Saracenorums are also from New Caledonia. So are, I mean, they must be a bit different, though, from your crest gecko and your gargoyle, gargoyle gecko from what you just explained. Yeah, they're definitely different. I imagine they have a different niche in the wild. Like, I don't really know much about them. I don't I mean, like I said, I'm not the gecko guy, but comparatively, gargoyles and cresteds are pretty similar. I actually, these days, I actually prefer gargoyles over cresteds because cresteds are way more hoppy. Gargoyles, especially with Val and the way she takes care of them and raises their babies, like, they calm right down, man. They just, they don't mind being handled. Every once in a while, you get a little jumpy, but, like, baby cresteds sometimes are a little little jumping beats, man. They're jumping all over the place. But gargoyles aren't like that. But the Saracenorum, yeah, when they want to be, they're they're, they're, gone. they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun sometimes. Are they, though, similar in keeping as far as uh, diet and temperature and enclosure? Yeah. Every, everything. I feel like everything from New Caledonia. I don't, want to, I don't know. I don't really know that. But a lot of these New Caledonia geckos are like that. Very, very easy They're to keep. They're pretty similar. I know that, um, and I haven't really looked too much into it, but I know that Leap and Leachies came out with different diets for the Chihuahuas versus the Leachies versus the Cresteds, Gargoyles, and the Saracenorums um, because um, 
And I just recently learned that Chihuahuas need a higher calcium content than the rest of the New Caledonian geckos. Um, so it is definitely something that I will be looking into as far as diets go, at least. But it seems like, and because we're not, I guess me and Scott aren't immersed in the, uh, in the gecko world, but there's like catered diets to all these different species. And I mean, that seems much more evolved even than, you know, for snakes, we're just breeding, we're just giving everyone rats and mice. Everything's, yeah. let me tell you something about the reptile community. Everything is more evolved than the snake part of the community. Also, all the a lot of the other animals are more evolved than snakes. So yeah, but who knows, man? Yeah, but no. As far as their care, <laughs> I mean, as far as as far as care and husbandry of, of everything mm -hmm. in the hobby, snakes are so far behind. And uh, oh boy, that's a whole nother can of worms, boy. But it's like I don't even know um, how did they figure that out because. I'm wondering how they figured out the specific diets for the geckos. Was that just trial or trial and error, or does someone actually have money for research? Do you know? Probably both. I, would I think, think it's both. I mean, I know they definitely did a lot of field research back and forth to New Caledonia, um, watching them in the wild, what they would eat. Um, you know, probably even dissecting uh, deceased animals that they've seen just to see what they have in their stomach, and. Uh, basically doing the math on what kind of protein content they need. That's something that we literally don't even consider as captive snake keepers. Like, um, depends in the circles. There's some circles. Yeah. That are being considered. Yeah. But, and then it's also like how sustainable is it? So you can run a whole commercial facility on, you know, these different mixes that you have for geckos. For us, in order to get a steady supply of, say, even if we were to do Reptilinks, it's not really sustainable price-wise on a mass scale for a commercial breeder for the most part. Depends. It's like, how can we make how can we make something or get some type of uh, ready supply of what we need in order to make it cost-efficient for us to vary up that diet? Depends on the species. I think, I think some you can vary it up very cost effectively and others you can't i mean it depends on the species depends what their specialty is uh you know if it's a frog eater that eats certain frogs sometimes that's not easy to do for it depends where you are too and what what you can get your hands on uh we were down in florida in february and hanging out with a uh, derek roddy uh mr blackhead python and he was telling me that he'll go down to the fish markets and get fish for his blackheads and and uh things of that nature. So like for him, that's very easy to do. Uh, he lives not far from the ocean and stuff like that. So it's not too hard to vary up the diet. And, I, and for blackhead pythons, that's a hundred percent important, hundred percent important. Like they should not be just eating a rodent diet, but um, you know, it depends. Like for someone like us, we could probably do something like that, but it might be a little more difficult. Um, but yeah, for all, like frog eaters can be a pain in the ass. It all depends. And then even then we're kind of making some assumptions at some point, right? Because we don't have that, you know, this is how much calcium they need, how much this and that, at least, or maybe we haven't looked, I'm sure maybe there are papers on it or, but, um, you know, most of the time we're like, well, I think, you know, white lip pythons mostly eat birds or something, you know, I'm just using that as an example that may or may not be true. I don't know. 
But so you're like, okay, let's give it day old chicks or whatnot to do it. I mean, there's not really a, an exact science to it. No, I mean, a lot, there is a lot of this. It's tough because they might do studies and depends what's the study group is the study. Did you dissect five animals and see what was in their stomach? Or did you dissect one that just happened to be more prone to eating birds? You know, it's, it's one of those things, but yeah, it's, that's a tough, it's, I think with a lot of the pythons, at least pythons, um, their diet is more adaptable for the most part to what we do with rodents. I think there's a lot of other stuff that isn't. Uh, I know when I used to work with venomous, I mean, I always felt like, man, like feeding baby bush vipers. And I think they talked about this with baby green tree pythons early on, like feeding some of this stuff, baby rodents that they wouldn't necessarily normally eat in the wild. Or no, maybe it was diamond pythons. They're talking about them eating a lot of baby uh, anoles or geckos. You know, I think pythons sometimes are better adaptable at eating what we want to give them than other species uh, that, you know, in the wild. And like I said, when I, when I was keeping venomous, bush vipers particularly, I always felt that. I'm like, man, these things, they're probably eating like little frogs or like little geckos or little things like that, eating a more fatty mouse or rat baby as you know you don't think a, a pinky mouse crawls up into the into the trees and they catch it not for those <laughs> for, I mean, I'm, hey, for some stuff it, it makes sense but and, and i think some things like take carpet pythons even if they're not readily eating baby mice uh, i always say this about the carpets they're so adaptable that they'll eat whatever and be fine they can they're they're just that adaptable at how to keep uh, how they live and how they eat and all that but other stuff isn't as adaptable as that other stuff is more specialized so but it's that's a tough it's a tough all we're trying to do is do the best we can with what we know at the time so right yeah as long as we're always trying to evolve that i don't think uh we're on the right track as far as that goes i think we're on the right track as far as we have i think we have more people now worrying about the ins and outs of keeping breeding husbandry that kind of thing diet than we ever have before yeah i mean that's that's with just the amount of people you have of course you have more people thinking about it and stuff and some stuff we're further along with that than others obviously i mean some stuff we still have a lot to learn yeah and people are like uh carly in the chat said i don't know anything about lizards talk lizards or geckos because uh we know everything about snakes so <laughs> She knows everything about snakes? Well, shit, send her my well, way. Well, no. <laughs> she doesn't know. She didn't say that. Uh, those are words no, that I, I know, made up. No, I know. But, uh, I got another beer, so talk to my wife. I'll be right back. Yeah. I'll be right back. <laughs> so when did uh, – what? when was your first season breeding geckos? Um, probably two or three years ago. Um. But I bred um, my Goldens and my Gargoyles at different times. And I, I don't even know if I know anyone who keeps Golden Geckos at all. What exactly is a Golden Gecko? Um, uh, from all that stuff. The Golden Gecko is pretty much a cousin to the Tokay. Um, but they're not, like, aggressive or anything. Um, they're pretty elusive, to be honest with you. I don't see them all that often. When I kind of walk in the room, they kind of disperse kind of like roaches when you turn the lights on um they're pretty cool though i mean they're not exactly common um but they're pretty cheap i think i got 
my first couple for maybe like $16 a piece. Um, every once in a while, you'll see them pop up. Are they, they heavily imported? Um, not really that I see. Um, every once in a while, I'll see somebody that has one. Um, and I might ask, you know, where did you get them from? I mean, there are people braiding them. Um, I have bred mine before, but I did unfortunately lose that female. Um, when she got a little older, she calcium crashed. So I haven't quite figured them out yet and how, how they breed and how they kind of like work. So it's still a project that I'm working on. So what exactly does that mean? Calcium crash? Um, so for whatever reason, that little female that I had, um, she laid a set of duds. They weren't even fertile. She was never paired with a male at all. Um, she naturally laid a pair of eggs and she must not have had enough calcium stored in her, in her sacs behind her eyes that, uh, once she laid th those eggs and that calcium left her body, her body just kind of like shut down. Hmm. So they just need, obviously males and females need calcium. I mean, calcium is just essential to yeah. their bodily function and whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah, definitely an essential part. And I qu haven't quite figured out uh, how that, that works with them yet and like the breeding cycles and when to give them more calcium versus when not to. I haven't figured out exactly when they start breeding and when they end yet. And is it kind of like leopard geckos where if they need it, they'll literally just lick up calcium or do you have to dust it on food? Um, between dusting on food or um, I have before left a a little tiny dish of calcium for them to use whenever they need it. But um, I actually have seen my female eat um, eat the shells of her eggs that she knows are not good. And she'll just kind of, I guess, re-ingest and kind of bring it full circle. Like the calcium came from me. It's going back in. I need it kind of a thing. Do you know any instances where they would actually just straight up eat their own eggs if they were in deficit? Um, I don't know if they would eat a fertile egg, but I feel like they know when they're fertile and not for whatever reason or another. Um, so they just kind of do it. That's just so interesting. Cause obviously they, I don't know if that particular species does, do they eat their own sheds as well? Yes. Yeah. They eat their sheds too. And I wonder like what they, besides obviously being elusive, I wonder what they gain from, from doing that. No. Cool. Yeah. Well, eating eggs. Or just geckos in general, as far as like eating their sheds. I wonder, does that have calcium in it? Is that anything? That's, I can't even answer that. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sorry. I th I'm just like thinking out loud. But um, golden geckos, keeping wise, in comparison to uh, with foliage and stuff like that, and substrate uh, similar to the others that we said in the, uh, previously? Um, I keep them in the naturalistic just because they are so elusive and I don't take them out. I kind of just let them do their thing. So, um, it has isopods and all that in there just so I'm as hands off as possible. They're very skittish. Um, they do have a basking spot, although I'm not sure what it's set at. Is it the same as yeah, the day geckos? Low nineties. Yeah. So it's pretty similar to the day geckos. They have, the same lights, the 
I don't think they have UVB, do they? No. no. They just have the LEDs and the, the basking puck lights. Just much more thicker vegetation because they're more skittish. And are your other geckos, I mean, I'm particularly thinking about the, like, Clemeride, do they uh, just chill out? Do they bask at all, or are they all a little bit? They're the absolute best display of a varying species of gecko you'll ever see in your life. All right, man, get me a pair. All right, we're on. Well, whenever you and Melissa come (laughs) over for dinner and beer, uh, you know. What you don't understand is that Melissa has to not know about it and needs to show up. And she, then, don't worry about it. She shows up. She looks at these things. She'll fall in love. I promise you. They're so personable. Like when yeah. I'm in the room and I'm mixing up Pangea, they're kind of like looking at me with their one eye. Like, what are you doing? Can we have some? I mean, they're all over the glass. Like, yes. Yeah, they're they're probably my favorite species in the room, gecko wise. And they're just like she said. They're just so personable. They're little characters. They're always out during the day. They're a hundred percent diurnal species. So like when the light goes off, you see them. They they go to the bamboo and they hide for the night. So you can you can hundred percent tell what their lives in the wild are like. They're that gecko species that uh they're Tanzania? Where are they from? I where they're from. But um I should know this. But uh you know, you can just picture it like if you've ever been in a part of the world where there is gecko species where you see them out during the day all over and then they disappear at night. They're just full diurnal. They're out on display. They're bebopping around. Uh, they interact with each other in fun ways and stuff. And they're just the perfect like living room display species. If I was going to put a cage in the living room, it would be these for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And they're tiny. And you <laughs> keep a little uh, pair of them. And they randomly just lay eggs all the time. It seems yeah, we let them raise them babies up, too, as a, like a family unit. So what do you mean by uh, how do they interact with their young? Is there any type of strife there or are they, you know, the opposite? I mean, do they help them at all? It's actually pretty funny. Like when I go in there to catch them, the mother gets not aggressive, but she's like, what are you doing? Like she watch. She's very watchful. It's not it's not. Um, I don't know, I'm trying to think what to compare it to. It's not like. It's not super emotional, but there's definitely there's definitely reaction, and there's definitely uh, you know, like I said, if I go in there to catch him, the mother doesn't come to bite me, but she will come over and like you could tell she's not exactly pleased that you're taking the babies out. So yeah, at least she can. It seems as though she can identify that those are her offspring. Though. Yeah, I think for a while. I mean, eventually they get older and they they might get chased a little bit, but. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty normal for them in their in their natural range, you know. And can you sex them right out of the egg? I can't sex a goddamn thing. <laughs> when it comes to geckos, oh. I can't. I can't sex. And well, how the hell would you sex them in general? Honestly, the way we sell them, and she she'll sex gargoyles and stuff like that. I don't even touch that. That's a pain in the dick. But uh, is that pores and stuff like that? What's that? Is that like using the magnifying glass to see pores and? She does it with the gargoyles, yeah, and the and the and the crusteds. But with the neons, when when I sell them, I sell them. We have a set price, and we sell them unsexed. I don't care how big it is. I don't even. I'm not going to try to give you the sex of them, because I can actually I can differentiate the male and the female are adults because the male has lost his tail before, so his tail looks different. It's not uh, completely like 100 percent normal. 
Um, so I can differentiate them, but if I try to look at the sex glands, I couldn't see it. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> you know, I, I know what I'm looking at. This is a male. This is a female. And like, I, I, I'm pretty bad at telling the difference myself. So we have a, quite a few customers and I tell them unsexed at this price. And that's, that's all it's going to be. And as adults, I mean, how can you tell them apart? If you were to get to the nitty gritty of it, I don't know if I could, honestly, she probably could. If she really is there, to. is there though, can you sex with pores or is there any visual? Yeah, they would have pores. yeah there's but a pores. So tiny. It's so hard and they move all over the place. So it's hard to even, if you wanted to loop them, it's, it's almost impossible because they're just all over the place. I've posted pictures online of a couple of our juveniles before we ship them out. And, uh, there's a couple of guys who are really good at it. Like they'll they'll be like, oh, that's a male, that's a male, that's a female, that's a female. Uh, like the breeder we got them from, and a couple other guys, like they know what they're looking at. It's just not my it's not my world. And she she could probably like I said she could probably do it with them, but it's still not as easy as gargles and crescents that are bigger and have bigger pores and stuff. Like she said, they're very small. If they're not right against the glass, then it's a pain. And at at the end of the day, I mean, you're getting an awesome gecko or two i okay. mean and it's not really a big deal to, to get more because they're so tiny but asking for a friend how much would typically uh one of them go for a clamor i go for 150 unsex juvenile that's pretty much our set price 150 uh that's they're well start well well started juveniles like i said we we let them the parents raise them in the main vivarium for maybe five, six months at least. And then I move them over and then uh, we sell them out of the other vivarium. And by that point, they're, you know, they're young adults probably will easily breed the next season. Um, but it's just so hard. It's so hard when you, when you're really in the thick of it in the season and she's hatching out eggs nonstop, like for me to pick out, Oh, that baby, that's the male. I have to catch that one it's a pain in the dick. So it's just easier for me just to say, Hey, 150, uh, that's not sexed, uh, healthy juvenile. That way at the, when I'm rushing, when I get home from work, I can just go in the vivarium and I don't have to be choosy over which one I'm, I'm grabbing. I'm just getting whichever one or two or three out that I can boxing it up. And do they all come out looking similar? Yeah. Color wise. Yeah, 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 they're all identical. yeah, they're pretty much identical looking geckos. Bright yellow head, bright bluish body, um, just super colorful, man. When you see them up close, like I know you probably see them on Instagram when I post them and stuff. I haven't seen them in real life. So yeah, you got to see them in real life, obviously. But yeah, they're just such colorful geckos, and like when you see them up close, you just really see the detail of that color, and when they're really fired up and really colorful, um, it's it's. They're, I don't know if there's anything that really compares with it, honestly. I mean, electric blues are, are also nice. They're obviously – any day gecko is, is really actually fantastic. Um, they're all gorgeous animals, but the neons, the, the yellow-headed day gecko, the clemeri, if you will, those things are just so cool. And you can keep them as a family unit, which was the big thing when I got them. I said, oh, this is perfect. Right. Actually, the funny story behind that is she wanted electric blues, so I started putting work into that. The problem is – so I, I'm sure you know how this goes. I'll, when I want something, especially if it's for her, I'll have to, I'll have to outsource that to my friends. 
So I've got friends that are gecko people. And I said, hey, Val wants Electric Blue. And he says, oh, yeah, talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And he says, you know, she, she'd probably like these. So he'll send me pictures of other stuff. And then I show her the pictures. And she goes, oh, I want that, too. Instead of I want that instead, it's I want that, too. So that's why we have both those species, because she wanted them, too. <laughs> but uh, I don't regret any of it. They're all they're all fun in their own way. No, absolutely. And I think I think the fun of it is that which I think why what attracts me to colubrids also, it's that you don't have many people, you don't have that investor mentality and you have animals that are typically all under two hundred dollars and they all look amazing and you're like, Why don't why are people paying thousands of dollars for, you know, mutations of things and that's not anything against mutations i have plenty of mutations and even mutations of corn snakes or something like that i mean why are people paying thousands of dollars for mutations of just a different species that when i mean you could pay 150 dollars and get some amazing amazing animals absolutely and you can get more of them and if they're day geckos i mean not a big deal <laughs> and not not a whole lot of people are working with the clemeri i mean there is a decent amount i mean it's not hard to get them but it's hard to get any decent number of them. i mean i had someone when i originally was getting her blue or electric blue i was talking to and they're like you know like there's never been a time when you can get a shit ton of clemeri because there's just not a shit ton available really which so it was shocks me because like i said she'll breed and lay eggs all warm part of the year like nine months of the year there's eggs and babies coming so like and that's just one pair i mean it's just amazing there that you don't see them readily readily available yeah because you would think some commercial breeder would just buy a uh, 100 imports or something and then they would just start reproducing like crazy and they would have some crazy colony of them but and i mean it seems like I mean, why wouldn't they be in demand? I mean, are people, are crested gecko, gargoyle people, is that like the next level for them? Or is this a whole different kind of gecko person? I think it's a mix. I mean, a lot, I mean it's weird. Gecko people are gecko people, I think. <laughs> that makes sense. Like gecko people, like they like all the different geckos, I guess. I, mean, I guess it's not unlike us. I mean, you're a colubrid guy, so you, like, you might get different colubrids. I'm a python guy, so I got four or five species. Um, and it, I guess it becomes a little easier depending on the geckos you're keeping. Jesus Christ. Sorry about the barking if you can hear that. I thought it was a rooster at first. I may be crazy, but. Yeah. We have two dogs. One's completely silent. The other thinks he's saving us from everything. <laughs> well, as long as he's not getting himself stuck in the stairs or whatever he did last time. That was the husky. No, that's a whole nother. Husky's a whole nother ball game. Do you have nanny camps set up like in your snake room as well, just for fun? No, actually, it's funny you say that. We've we've we want to put one up here because we have. For those that don't know, we have two. You can call them nanny cams, but they're yeah, they're they're like two security cameras downstairs. Uh, because, long story short, basically we have a husky, and she's a handful, and um, she suffers from isolation anxiety. So there's been a lot of it's it's taken a lot of work to get her to the point where she can actually be alone all day now. Hence why we have a second dog who doesn't want to shut up. But um to keep her company. But yeah, we have two cameras downstairs on the main floor just so we can uh keep an eye on what's going on with her. And uh I do want to put one up here just uh just because just to always have the ability to look and more not here and god forbid something's going on or 
an electrical fire starts, you know, knock out wood, that never happened, but a- anything just, just to have it. And, um, but no, we don't yet. I think that's something that I know I've personally overlooked as far as now there's all these types of, uh, you know, like, I don't know what they call them, but it's basically like a thermometer. There's this stone thing that has an app on your phone and it will tell you the humidity. It will tell you the temperature of your room, all that stuff like connected to, you know, a mobile app on your phone. That's too much work for me. Like, I'm not that worried about it. I have an accurate, <laughs> I have an accurate th- uh, temperature, uh, you know, thing in here that tells me humidity and temperature when I'm in here, but I'm not that concerned with my room as long as it doesn't, you know, there's nothing that's going to – I don't have a uh, – what do you call it? The ambient heat, oil heater. I don't have something like that that's going to break and heat the room altogether. I mean, if it does that, it's my entire house that's fucked up. But, uh, you know, I don't really worry about my temperature in my room that much as long as it's not over 80. Yeah, I think the reason why I feel that way is because I do run, you know, the oil-filled uh, radiant heater. Yeah, but... A lot of people do. Yeah, and it's also yeah that would be nice, but that's I, I don't run heat tape, so that's the nice thing. But if I ran heat tape, I won't. I would want one of those that was like, "Is my house on fire? Yes or no? Please yeah. tell me if my house is on fire." That's the only thing that I would care about. Yeah, that's why I may get a camera in here pretty soon, just to have an, you know just to keep an eye on that or anything else that could happen, just just to be aware. Yeah, and I think everyone's like nothing's gonna happen to you whether it be fire or theft or you know there's scums everywhere it's happened to people we know right but yeah i've thought about that too it's like i always because i'm like man the animals i have in here like oh god forbid something someone did break in and the dogs aren't here because the dogs are at least odin the one dog he'll he'll probably fuck someone up if someone broke in but the husky will any they'll, they'll they'll take all the animals out of the house while the husky sleeps. But <laughs> and I mean for you, I mean, you have such unique animals. I mean particularly your your Malukin pair. Yeah, I do worry about that. <laughs> yeah. I so I guess explain a little bit of what you have going on. Uh, you said that you do pair up the Malukins every season, but have you seen anything this? Just the last two. Once I felt she was just old enough. Um, yeah, I uh, I tried the last two years, but it's still uh, it's still one of the toughest games in town. <laughs> uh, I have called them the third hardest python species to breed. Uh, Helma hare has got to be the first because that's only been done once uh, successfully, and then Bolines uh, is probably second because the only thing that really separates Bolines from Malukins is the amount of people trying. Uh, even worldwide, there's more people doing bolines, I think, than Malukins. Or it's, it's it's about even, but um, yeah. No, man, that, God, I wish I could just go into the the crazy in depth conversations I've had with like Keith Mapeak and you know all all the Malukin guys, and uh, I pay very special attention to the bolines group and the discussions they have over there because Ari puts in the you know he puts in the footwork over there in western papua and so like i pay real close attention to those guys and and the conversations they have is just oh man it's just being friends with keith the peak is huge because his mind is like a chessboard and he, we bounce stuff off each other and at the end of the day you're just 
left with more questions than answers, I guess. It's very hard to breed them. But, yeah, I've paired them up the last two years. They breed like crazy. It's That's the easy part. It's just uh, getting the female to do – getting her body to do this cycle and the processes it needs to do. That's tough for some reason. So is, is it similar in a way to uh, trying to breed bull and I? Very similar, yeah. That whole Somalia complex seems to be tough. Uh, the barnex scrubs and like the tannabar scrubs seem to be easier. Well, not easy, but they're more uh, more commonly bred than uh, Malukins and Bolinus pythons for sure. But uh, I actually think I think I saw today that uh, Philip up in uh, Canada actually had fucking Malukin babies again. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, so there there is someone consistently. Produced. No one, uh, there's no one there's no one heavily consistently but philip is probably the closest i'd say to consistent um he he's bred the same female twice and then he just like i said i saw pictures today that were recent and i think he just had a clutch uh hatch again um but yeah there's no one who's done it consistently there's people that have had success but not no one's had long-term consistency and uh also uh success is a relative term because a lot of the clutches i've i've know i know about are uh they're not the greatest uh fertility so what a lot of answers that need to be figured out so even when it's done there's a certain amount of infertile and there's a certain amount that isn't exactly still dialed in yeah for the most part a high percentage of the clutches that have happened have not been have not been stellar clutches same with what? bolines. Actually, I just found that out the other day about bolines. There's still not. There's still some fertility issues that need to be figured out. Do you happen to know, like, what? Uh, I don't even know, like, the the clutch size or fertile and infertile that. Uh, what's his name? I guess Frederick got in the in Europe when he bred the the bolines. I don't know. I don't know everything. I don't really talk to Fred, Frederick. I talk to Keith. I mostly talk to Keith, and then uh, once in a while Ari or something, but. Um, I don't know the numbers, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to comment hundred percent on what I don't know. Yeah. I'm just curious whether, uh, I think fertility was still not dialed in hundred percent yet. Yeah. But we're still at the point where you're just lucky if you get, even if you laid slugs, I would think if, if you'd feel a little bit, Oh, if you get slugs, you're on, at least you're on some sort of a path and then, yeah, you just got to dial in the fertility of it. Yes, it's it's tough. Uh, uh, Keith is on to a, a whole thing with the bolines. I, I won't go into exactly what he's talking about right now, but um, we were discussing it the other day back and forth, and uh, it's it's certainly some interesting stuff. So we'll see. I don't. The problem is I don't know how it it translates into the Malukins. Uh, it's hard because you don't know. It's it could be very different styles of uh, how they live their lives in the wild. So it might be, it's hard to say. I've been back and forth in my mind with Malukins about what I think I need to do. And I, I'm just doing, I'm doing less and less big changes because I think if I just keep them steady and just keep them long enough, they'll go. But yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah, I guess there's a certain consistency to it. I mean, people try, if you're tweaking it every year, your animal's just never getting that consistency. I guess those are your thoughts behind it. Yeah, 100%. Tweaking is... Tweaking is necessary, and then it's not necessary. It depends. I mean, I'm at the point where I'm tweaking less. I'm just, I think I'm in an area where I should be, 
So I'm not tweaking very much. I'm just trying to get my timing down and hopefully just that combined with uh, patience and I'll be successful, but I don't know, man, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. If, if I'm not mistaken, last time we talked, I mean, you guys are still even in the realm of like, when do I pair these winter spring type of thing? And you're uh, somewhat, yeah, somewhat. I mean, so I, I would, I would like to keep them paired a lot of the year just because see what happens. But during the summer here, these two suck when it comes to feeding response. So like having them in the same cage would be a fucking nightmare. So, so suck. Yeah. Suck in a bad way as far as they're always ready to eat. Yeah. Like, you know, when I go to feed them, they're going to be on, there's going to be strikes everywhere. They're not aggressive animals, but there's very big food lovers. So like, when food is in the room, they're going crazy. And then, you know, you get two animals in the same cage, it's unpredictable. Uh, I know people talk about don't cohabitate, but sometimes you have to. Uh, if you don't know the timing, sometimes it's called for. Uh, I know some guys who are going to be cohabiting other scrubs. Uh, I know bolines are being cohabbed a little bit. Uh, when you don't know the timing and you need to produce these animals, sometimes you have to do that. So that's, that's why you can cohab if you know what you're doing. Uh, if it makes sense, like I wouldn't cohab carpets because I like my jungles. I know the timing of them. I'm not going to cohab them uh, all year because I have no reason to, and it just makes it more difficult for me. But my Malukan scrubs, I'm not. A, I think I know about what their timing should be, but I could be wrong. So, yeah, and I, well, for you, it's just keeping them together just to see. But I mean, cohabbing in general. I mean, obviously, that's like the number one question everyone gets right but for me it's like i i know so many colubrid guys who do cohab or you know like bob applegate his whole career he was cohabbing king snakes which just blows my mind but blows my mind too <laughs> <laughs> but it's like people ask me and i'm like i hate to say no because the answer is yes you can and then like if you're gonna do it correctly you just to me, you have to get twice the size of the cage in order to do it correctly, in my opinion. Yeah. And if, a, why don't you just fucking keep them separate at that point? They had an interesting conversation on the the uh, the UK guys there had an interesting conversation with someone about that, about cohabbing and stuff. And it was, you can do it. You just got to do it right. We were at fucking St. Augustine, and they had two white lip pythons cohab with a Burmese python. <laughs> And the uh, fucking white lip pythons were in the trees, fucking in the trees. That's I got a picture of that somewhere, but uh, but the cage was fucking four times the size of this room. Actually, probably more than that, and twice as tall. I mean, it was massive. Um, but it seems like the berm is still somewhat overpowering and territorial on that ground, and which made the white lips retreat. I mean, you can make that assumption, I guess. Yeah. Bolines, I mean, the berm was sitting over in a corner by itself, and the white lips seemed like they wanted to be in the tree. I mean, uh, 20%. There you go. I might have to get my charger wire. But, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it was that. I didn't get that sense. It was a huge space. There was plenty of room and plenty of, you know, uh, structure and things of that nature that the white lips could have been at, and they were, they chose to be in the trees. I mean, it's interesting. And it does. Was, very interesting. I wish I could have a. I mean, if you could put a tree in a six foot cage with your white lips pythons, 
this was a tree in a fucking like 18 foot tall room <laughs> you know what i mean like this was huge white lips but that didn't surprise me 100 percent, just because white lips will use whatever you give them like they love they'll be in the ground they'll be in a burrow they'll be in a tree like it doesn't matter what what is in the cage they're gonna crawl all over it use it uh they won't i don't typically see mine perch i mean she they have they have perches but i don't typically see them perch like they were that day but uh anything you give them they'll use uh structure wise if i remember correctly i don't know if you remember that old steve Irwin of the serpents in the clouds um I know it was probably a planted animal, let's be honest, but uh, there was a white lip, I think, in a tree. So he caught a white lip in a Maybe tree. I'm thinking of another one that he pulled out of like some rocks. He was in like a dry, uh, like a wet, uh, like a riverbed. It was pretty, it was, it was like all stones and he pulled them out of stones. I remember that one. My memory sucks. I don't. Yeah, I think it was, <laughs> I think I don't, yeah, it could be a different one. But I, I remember one that, yeah, it was like in a riverbed. And he pulled it from underneath some rocks, but uh, it's you know it's it's hard. You're trying to do the best you can with what you know. Yeah, what were you guys doing in Florida? Uh, Southeast Carpet Fest, and then uh, visiting a friend of mine and doing doing the Florida thing. We went down, we went to Crutchfield's farm one day and did the Everglades and stuff like that. So how was seeing, obviously with a guy who used to work with Venomous, how was it uh, seeing Cody's collection? Oh, God. Their collection is makes me want to change everything. I don't know if you saw pictures and stuff, but their their collection is absolute. And it, it's, it's what people should strive to do. Uh, first off, Cody and Pete are great people. They're, I mean... First off, Cody will talk to you for six hours as on your podcast, we know. But, uh, man, they're so nice, and their collection is fucking, oh, it was, their cages were beautiful. The, the animals were just freaking awesome. Uh, they have that whole Montane room, which was cooler. Uh, it's air-conditioned, and it's all just perfect naturalistic vivariums with, like, little uh, palm pit vipers and stuff in there. Just so cool. Yeah, their collection is is insane. That's probably, you know, one of the closest I've seen to like a zoo level exhibit as far as in the private sector. Yeah, their cages are definitely on that level. And just the amount too is is Oh incredible. yeah, their their whole their whole house is it's it's all snakes. They well, they have like one they have one room without reptiles and it's like the kitchen or something <laughs> like yeah, it's it's insane, man. Like it's all but it's it's impressive. It's really cool. And the animals are just so gorgeous. And you got to hang out in Florida. So yeah. uh, it was uh, Southeast Carpet Fest. That was fun. You know, they they don't party as hard as uh, Northeast, of course, the the original. But uh, I'll have to figure that out. Uh, yeah, you're gonna find that out real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be fucking a fun time. You are going, right? Oh so. fuck! I hope you're going. <laughs> She's become a regular at Carpet Fest too. So, but the, just recently, she's like, "I might have to work." I'm like, "No, no, no, don't do that." There'll be some gecko people there. Hmm? <laughs> My first Carpet Fest, the gecko guy was there. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I, did. I can't. Uh, I can't remember his name. Nick, I think. But um, yeah. No, there's, dude. Car- Northeast Carpet Fest now is so ridiculous with the amount of people there that there's something for everybody. So yeah, she tells Owen every year. 
she it's right near her birthday, so just have people bring her geckos. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because so many of us, even if you're a snake keeper, there's so many people who have like one off, you know, geckos or things like that, or thing just pairs that they produce every once in a while and Oh man, they, yeah, there's like I said, the the diversity of the people at Carpet Fest is like that. Like you said, there's always the ton of carpet guys and green tree guys, but man, there's gecko people and people that keep just about everything under the sun from bullines to monitors to frogs to just everything, man. It's 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 a chill time. And uh Northeast does it we do it better than everybody else. So it's a party. I can't wait. But it's 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 good. The other carpet I've only been to Southeast so far, but the other carpet fests are good too. Like Southeast was a great time. Ian, you know, Ian hustled his ass off. Like he kills it, and uh, all the people there were great. Um, but yeah, just Northeast just gets a little wild. Yeah, Southeast carpet fest. Screw your million dollar auction. We're gonna <laughs> drink a lot of beer and no, get a lot of fun too, but just not as late as we do. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing all... like i think even in uh even the i guess they call it uh southwest carpet fest or whatever the one is in texas but i mean shit man i was like two o'clock i was like dozing off and had to go but they they even stayed up until like 5 a.m you know oh yeah that's usually northeast there's usually a crew that makes it 4 35 30 a.m easily yeah there's a group of people who do that well, now that I know, I'll aim for it. I'll try to make it. No, no promises. Yeah, I just booked my uh, hotel for it, so we'll be there. Yeah, we'll we'll be having <laughs> like four people staying at our house, so that should be fun too. How far are you from there? About forty-five minutes or so. Oh shit, that's not bad at all. That's nice. Hour and a half on like uh, five o'clock on yeah, yeah, any weekday, but yeah. Yeah, we're three hours, as you know. So, yeah, but I still haven't been able to come over and, and check out your collection. So soon, man. Let me, like I said, I told you and Melissa, you know, let me know when you guys are coming up to visit your family or something. We'll plan having dinner and drinks, and you guys can come up here. We'll pull some geckos out and some snakes out and monitors, whatever you want to uh, check. Now, out. I'm more excited for the geckos now than I am uh, <laughs> Lucan. Sorry. I don't blame you. That's where I'm at now. Shit. <laughs> I told you. I, I mean, I keep Lucan's, but shit. Her, watching her excitement sometimes nowadays is even funner. You know, it's even taking over, man. Oh, you have no idea. She when we lived in my dad's house before we bought a house here, uh, she had a gecko corner at one point in the room, and then the rest of the room was my stuff, and then the regular bedroom stuff. But yeah, no. Once we have a now that we have a dedicated room, it's like. <laughs> it's ridiculous there's a lot of geckos in here but yeah you're off to the races i don't mind it though it works out i get to have i get to enjoy a lot more species if it was just me i wouldn't have half the shit in here but uh you know we both we split the work and stuff like that so like we both get to enjoy more than we would just by ourselves so it works out yeah, at least you guys have mastered the art of splitting the work. Me and Melissa haven't gotten there yet. She'll she'll want animals, but I still do all the work. But I do the snakes. I still so want you, the animals. So I do the snakes. She does the geckos. That's basically the split, and then other some other random stuff. I mean, she can do the snakes too, but it's it's gotten to the point now where the 
the geckos are so much work that I, I pretty much deal with the snakes for the most part. I also commute pretty far for work. Yeah, she commutes. I, three hours out of my day is just for to commute back and forth to work. So, Whoa, where do you work? I work in Albany, so it's about an hour. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I work 10-hour days. I'm an executive chef, so I, I'm there a lot. <laughs> There's some days where I'll say, hey, I'll clean the geckos. She feeds them, but, like, I'll go through and clean her geckos because I can bust it out pretty quick. It's usually not too bad. Man, that's hard. So good thing you have – you're able to balance off when you can't do something, you know. Yeah. Both, both of you are equipped to take care of things. Yeah. There's a few things that she doesn't really mess with. Like, I wouldn't want her messing with Reaper, my black roughneck monitor, just because now he's so food happy that – it's a little more dangerous and he's a little quick, but, uh, and stuff like that. The scrubs, she doesn't really mess with, she used to mess with Persephone, the female, but, uh, she doesn't really mess with them too much anymore just because now they're bigger and more food happy. So, but anything else in the room, like, yeah, she'll mess. So she can mess with anything. She's, we don't have anything venomous here. So nothing to worry about. Speaking of venomous, I mean, I can't not talk about you going to Tom Crutchfield's. Yeah. I, uh, I'm very lucky, my friends, and I, I put the word out. Uh, I, I knew someone uh, that is friends with him, and I said, hey, can can we, like, can you hook me up? I said, is there any chance we can go check out Crutchfields? And she's like, absolutely. So we went down, and, you know, it's every bit of what you expect. It's, it's, it's a piece of history, and uh, it was definitely neat. Uh, he was very nice. Um, and uh, it was cool, like, seeing some of the Cobras and the Mansion Vipers are cool. And then uh, he's got the croc, those Croc monitors. Some of those are just absolutely stunning. And uh, yeah, he's got those rock rattlesnakes, those white ones. Those are those are gorgeous. So, yeah, that was cool. You know, that was that was definitely a, a, a check off the old uh, bucket list to go visit Crutchfield, meet him, and check that out. I know a lot of people are whatever about him but it was it was cool it was it was something to do and we spent that that evening in the everglades and stuff and we got to meet um the venom doctor there uh shit i've had a couple beers i can't remember his name but he was really nice um he's been on animal planet a few times like sean bush no not that one uh ray ray hunter ray hunter i'm sorry oh oh the, yeah, the yeah. cobra man that's who that is right yeah yeah ray ray hunter came and uh he was he then when he got there he pulled out a few cobras and dude what happened to like the like tv guys like snake men people thing you know like there were so many of those guys because um, we don't watch tv anymore because we we just use the fire stick now so like we don't watch cables so like unless it's a show that we watch specifically like so i don't catch anything now so i don't even know what's on tv and who's on tv but that's probably a whole part of the transition of uh, old Animal Planet and and nature shows to where it is now. Yeah, and as much as that stuff. And I think we had uh, the guys. There's a a show on Animal Planet called Scaled, and we had the guys from Scaled, and they just build like uh, vibrations yeah, you know? for different reptiles. And like, yeah, they're cool dudes and everything like that. But I don't feel like we're able to get behind them enough because I mean, shit, I don't have cable. I don't, you know, like I can watch certain things on certain apps. Some of it's locked and it's like, damn, like we don't even, uh, I don't think the community even knows about it because enough about it because we, uh, 
we just all of our attention is in one place like it used to be i don't know if i'd even watch it honestly if if we had cable just because i had never been a big fan of that type of show yeah um, you know even the tanked one and all that like i would have i don't know if i would have watched that but like we'll try to catch a uh, Attenborough shows every once in a while when we can on the on the app and stuff we'll watch some of them anything you know anything that brings it back to like you said like that old school nature documentary type stuff or like some Steve Irwin type stuff we'll watch but I mean I think that's where the world's going now it's going in a different cable at some point might go away and it might all be internet streaming type stuff so yeah it's unless it's a show that we specifically want to watch like the zoo about the the rock zoo uh we watched that show we're like and we're friends with chris salemi um and he's a keeper there so of course we're like oh we gotta watch it and so you know unless we're specifically going to watch a certain show something new comes out we don't really hear about it we're not gonna watch it unfortunately yeah yeah and it's just i mean but we shouldn't complain about it because there's more information now out you know, more videos, YouTube videos, stuff like that about anything you would want to know. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's me and Dan. It started at YouTube, but we it's hard to do YouTube. I heard you guys talking about that in your last podcast a little bit. Uh, that, was, that was an interesting man. I wish I was fit, sitting there having a conversation with you about all that shit, the business side of things and all that. But, um, well, and I, I think I don't think people knew exactly what I meant. Maybe I was being very vague and maybe that was on purpose. But, um, yeah, I think people thought that I was trying to make Port City Pythons like like the animal breeding. I was going to make that a full time business, but that's not the case. That's the, the last thing that I want. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough. That, that's a tough conversation. Oh, look at your watch. Oh, um, like, we've been sitting here for a long time. It's no, almost she goes. Out. She likes going to bed early. I should go get my fucking. What time is it? Eight forty. I get in my charge wire. Where the fuck am I to charge? Do I have an extension cord? Power strips right there. Oh, yeah. I gotta get my uh, charge wire. Talk to my wife for a second. <laughs> I felt like you were just about to say something. Now I'm gonna forget. So when Scott oh, comes no. back, <laughs> all right. Whatever he said. So um, how did you, like, take the whole uh, Crutchfield thing, going to Florida, seeing all these different kinds of animals? Was it a lot? Um, it was cool to see different things that maybe I wouldn't see in, I don't know, say, uh, the Brock Zoo, um, which we go to probably every year or so, um, or... Uh, you don't see that stuff in people's collections, at least here in New York, because of the laws that are associated with them. So it was definitely something cool to see, like, you know, the, the mansion vipers and the, the rock rattlesnakes. Those were really, really cool. Yeah, those are animals, especially that, that white rack, uh, the rock rattlesnake that he has. Um, it's just like also like a, just a super quality animal. Don't mind me, just plugging my charger in. Well, that's always good. Sometimes it makes a weird buzzing sound when the charging. No, it sounds fine. It's not charging. That's I fucked up. Oh, well, hopefully it still sounds fine after. How are you now? Now we're charging. Yeah, you're good. Sweet. Um, where were we? <laughs> yeah, no, the business <laughs> thing you were talking about. Um, I under I, man, it was such a good podcast too, and um. 
like I said, that it's weird when I listen to podcasts. Sometimes, like, fuck, I wish I was discussing this shit with this these people right now because it's such a good discussion. But uh, here we are, Scott. We're here now. I know two hours into it. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I was getting to this two-hour conversation. Yeah. Of that. No, no, I, I'm not going to do that to my wife because she's she gets tired earlier than me. But um, and she knows how it is. Carpet fest. We'll have to sit down with all you guys and bullshit. And um, but no, uh, it was it was interesting listening to you guys talk about it. And um, it's it's you're right. It's a balance, you know, the business when you when you. It's hard to make this hobby, you know, into a business, but also keep the morals. Like you said, it's a balance. And but my whole thing is you always have to put the animal first. And um, but what I really found interesting was you guys talking about what you're passionate for versus what sells versus things of that nature. And if you can do a mix, I mean, honestly, if you hate what you're working with, then you're not going to be successful anyway. I mean, I've written a hundred blo- a few blogs about this type of shit, but um, you know, e- either way, you have to enjoy what you're working with because at the end of the day, you're picking up shit for however many hours from that animal. So if you hate it, you're not going to do it for a long period of time, you know? But I I think there are those examples as far as when you look at the, uh, you know, the, the larger commercial breeders, they do, they don't have that luxury. I don't think to work with what they love. They probably do in a small sense uh, in a portion of their collection, but at the end of the day, they're going after the market as well. So a certain amount of their collection is dedicated to what the market likes. I so agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. I and mean, that's why Nick Mutton breeds ball pythons, isn't it? I mean, I mean, he does well on carpet pythons, but that's, it's his career. That's what he does. So, you know, obviously he has some stuff that he has to worry about the market for. I mean, I, I like where I'm at, where I don't give a fuck about the market. I don't give a fuck about yeah. anything. We, me and her both have paying jobs. So like, that's, I've been asked before, like, oh, would you make this your full-time career? And I, I don't think I would because, I don't know. I don't want to have to worry about, wow, carpet pythons are only selling for $10 now. Fuck. Why do I work with these anymore? You know what I mean? Like, that's just It me. all fluctuates not, not so much. What's that? It all fluctuates so much as far as, uh, you know, even in a 10-year span, you can have an animal that was once $100, be $1,000, go back down to $200. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. Especially not with the jungles as much, but with things like I think about uh we just saw with Mike the monkey tails. Monkey tail skinks, for instance, man. I remember seeing them years ago. They're fucking stupid cheap. And now, like, you know, like you said, they're thousand dollars plus and, and you see that a lot. Uh it's but it's all supply and demand at the end of the day. I mean it's pretty basic business uh stuff, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that's even with, that's even harder to, to recognize unless you know the right people as far as uh, say monkey tail skinks, you know, they're being imported at a certain, uh, you know, there's a certain amount imported every year, blah, blah, blah. It's, and then if that gets shut down, then your supply is shut down and then it automatically goes up in price. And there's just so many things that affect the market, especially, you know, the importing and stuff like that. And once, uh, that's the easy that's the easy going from zero to a hundred uh on the the price scale like a, a country shutting down export that's the easy one uh the other is just like the random uh the random 
you know, flow of the market where all of a sudden a few pictures get posted of a certain animal and all of a sudden social media takes it and runs with it. And now everybody wants it. And now the price is stupid because they're not available. That's happened with the white lips. I see people every single day looking for white lips. I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking? First off. Yeah. Someone lied to you. Yeah. But it's weird because they all think that, oh, who's a good breeder for white lips? Well, it's not that simple. It's not like our girl geckos. It's not like ball pythons. It's not like carpet pythons. There's not a set breeder because they're not that easy to breed. Uh, I mean, you're pretty much going to talk to Ryan Young. Uh, he's the only one who does it still regularly. I think there's a couple other guys that have done it quite a few times, but they, I don't know if they're doing it uh, as regularly as Ryan. But like, it's it's just funny to watch. Like all of a sudden, the demand is crazy on white lips. <laughs> Because, like, a, a pet tuber got one or something, or who knows? That's all it takes. That's literally, and I think, honestly, with the white lips, it's a few of us have posted really good pictures. Um, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. crazy iridescence, and all of a sudden, it goes viral, and people are like, oh, fuck, I want that. Yeah, I remember when I first wanted my white lip first, too, and it uh, <laughs> was a long time ago. But um, I, I think that happens a lot. I think there's some stuff where it just it becomes more in demand just from social media or whatever the reason is. Just cause you saw a picture of a, the new thing is like Viper boas. Like yeah. people, I should have bought them when they were $50 a pop. Yeah. And it's like, they're not in no way. Is that like a fun snake to keep? I'm sorry for people who like those. They're awesome looking in a way their head shape. They're not awesome looking in color. They're, they're turds. And they don't move around at all. They're a dirt. They're a dirt snake. It sits on the ground. I get it. They are the most dirt snake. They're the dirt snake of all the dirt snakes. The only thing I see. The only thing I'll say is I'll tell you what. Their colors are fantastic sometimes when they shed because they come in looking like garbage, and then they shed all that dirt off. And when they shed, they they are gorgeous animals. But if you get a good one, animal who's going to sit in a tub in the little swampy stuff it likes to sit in and it's not going to really do much it's not yeah it's just going to sit there and i didn't mean to talk shit on viper boas they're a cool snake i i like candoya but yeah no i i agree i, I but that that's just a, a weird random one you know that I popped up in pair. I, I tried a boa again because i was like oh i like rare stuff so let me try it and isabel isabella island uh ground also and i yeah yes and uh just didn't do it for me, man. It just, to be fair, I had issues with it eating. It was a, it was a full grown adult, an older animal from Ben Siegel or, you know, whoever owns Ben Siegel these days. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it, I had issues getting it to eat for a while. And so it's one of those things where, uh, my experience wasn't super great with it. So like, I was like, it kind of turned me off, but yeah, I'm not a boa guy. I've tried three times, I think. And every time it's, I come back to I, I just stick to pythons. I um yeah I had a a pulse and I I had a, a red phase one. Yeah, that was uh, it had a stub tail. It had a chunk out of its back. It it lived the life and yeah. uh, unfortunately it ended up having like a mouth tumor and went south. But and that was after like a, a year or two having it. But uh, cool cool snakes and it's to be honest it's not like uh. It's not even like a regular boa. Like you're saying like, yeah, I ventured into boas, but that's such not a normal boa. That's no, so that like was me compensating for that. Cause I did have normal yeah. boas in my early days. I did two red tails, uh, like in my first three years and like, they just, it just never stuck with me. 
and then and, you know i i just done pythons the whole time and i love pythons but yeah bows i still haven't found a bow that turned me on to enough to work with them really i may get argentines eventually that's that might be my one talk to my buddy mike i think he's got them i already have actually yeah. <laughs> or uh I think I think we're thinking of the same person. I think I met him at White Plains. Um, I can't remember his his last name to be Kurgan. honest. Mike oh Kurgan. no no no! Then it's not him. Sorry. He still has him though. I think he does. I don't know. It was a different Mike. I was gonna say. Um, I was like, I think I'm, I'm thinking we're thinking the same person. You don't know his last name? It was like Mike Kurgan. Like, hope he knows. No, it, it was an Italian last name. Mm-hmm. Um, I got but, you. But um, but yeah. So I've been looking at those, but um. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, for, for me, like the, the, the business thing, I want it to be on the supply side. I want it to be some type of hard goods. I want to try to find ways to revolutionize keeping husbandry, even diet or something like that. Eventually I'm not really sure, but I just want to, uh, you know, do what other people are doing for all the other sectors of the hobby. There's no one doing it for rep or not reptiles for snakes in particular. You know, there's the Josh's frogs. There's, uh, you know, there's a couple other like bioactive type uh, vivarium sites. You would probably know better than I would, but even uh, New England hurt is the big one. Vivariums in the mist. Oh, there's vivariums in the mist. They're really good. New England hurt uh, is who I got a lot of my supplies from. but, but I mean, yeah, no, we, I, we have reptile basics, but we don't have um, we don't have someone doing it on a a mass level. I don't think uh, to the degree of a, of a Josh's frogs or something like that. You know, I, th- I think they've weird, just done a lot. It's a they've done thing. a lot to advance the other sections of the hobby. It's a weird thing. Like uh, the snake sector of the hobby just refuses to want to move forward. Uh, you know, like just down to the big snake guys who really think retics are fine. And I got friends who do it. Like they're probably mad if I say it, but like, I fully agree with Tom Crutchfield's opinion on big snakes needing to be in very large enclosures. Like, you know, you look at these retics that a certain someone on YouTube post, come on, man, you can't fucking look at that and say that's, that's okay. You can't, uh, it's not a healthy animal. It's that's not how these animals are, are biologically built. You know, they're built to be lean, uh, really lean, fucking strong predators. You're making it into a lazy Burmese python. You know what what's I mean? that? Uh, what's that show? Like my 600 pound life or whatever. That's yeah. That's whole that's life. like yeah. That yeah. whole place is like my 600 pound life. And 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 there's uh, there's so many levels to this conversation, but like I think that's happened with uh, Malukan scrubs. I've seen that with scrub pythons. A lot of people didn't have great success because they overfed them. They were too big. Like, they're not supposed to be that. Every time you see a wild Malukan, or, well, I shouldn't say wild Malukan because you don't see that uh, other than imports, but you don't see it in, in uh, you don't see pictures or videos of. Uh, in situ. Yeah, I'm working on that. But um, but when you see the other scrubs, man, and you look at their body and all that, and you're like, fuck, like, they're a lean, lean animal. Like, that's what, th- there's a there's a golden area where it's like, all right, I don't want to starve the animal and make it that lean, but at the same time, I don't want to overcompensate for like, hey, you're in captivity, I'm going to coddle you and just feed you as much as you want because you're going to kill the animal. They're not biologically built to be that way. So, And just being cognizant of that fact and the fact that you're trying to find that balance is 
most of the game it's gonna you know like if yeah. if everyone just knows that like just like humans just like anything else if you feed it too much it has negative effects you know people for whatever reason don't correlate that to snakes because they eat so little and yeah. also people think when i sell them a corn snake i say feed it every week they think that, that means feed it every week for the rest of its life yeah and you that's, know so yeah, that's and that's one of the tough things like there's old habits die hard and it's the old 10 15 20 more than that years ago where it was like i and i did it i just lost a snake the other day uh the oldest snake i had the first jungle i ever had and it was because i overfed her before i knew better like she was huge she was a seven foot female and i know that that was basically because she her lifespan was shortened because i sped that up too much um you know and i i, I had that fear of that happening and unfortunately it did um but i knew it was going to happen at some point probably but now the shit, now the, the amount I feed my carpets now is, oh man, so little. It's not, I mean, it's not little, little, but it's, it's nowhere near. It's not once a week. Even my hatchlings, I don't feed them once a week. Most of the time. They don't need to. I do. I do my males uh, once a month, but, it, but, it, but it will be a medium rat. I yeah. like, and this is like an old man. So he's just chilling. Shit, Midas, Girl, I'm a rat. how many times, Midas, I can probably count on less than two hands how many times he eats in a full year. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I was listening to, to something with, with Vin Russo. He was talking about, obviously, seasonal feeding with boas. And it was like the number that he threw out there, the amount of times they ate a year. I was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation that changes on the species you're talking about, obviously. because But a lot of those, you know, I think of a lot of the boas. um Probably very seasonal. Like, I just think about Costa Rica. When we were in Costa Rica, it was dry. and You didn't see shit uh, that-wise. We didn't see any boas, unfortunately. But um, saw a Bushmaster, dry. dude. Come on. But that wasn't in the wild, though. Oh, uh, really? That was cool, though. Yeah, no, <laughs> that was um, that was the night we did. That was on our honeymoon. So, obviously, uh, I lucked out with that because she. it wasn't the full honeymoon. It was not herping and all that. Don't <laughs> But we did go and spend an entire uh, night up in uh, in Arenal, and uh, Ray Morgan and uh, Mike Clarkson were real cool. Like I put the word out, I was like, "Hey, we're going to Costa Rica. Like, who can I talk to?" And they're like, "You need to go talk to this guy. This is who you need to go with." And um, he was re- it was an amazing guide. His family was it was it was cool. He we went herping with his family, but they were the nicest people. Um, his son was the one who set it up because his son spoke English. But uh, he owns the uh, Arenal Eco Zoo. So, like, he's got two Bushmasters and then, like, everything else that's native down there he has in captivity. So, uh, we go out herping for, like, four hours. And it's raining. It's, it's late. It's, like, midnight, something like that. So, like, the cool thing is the next day she had set up us going to uh, Tarkalays to see the crocodiles. And but that was like four and a half hours away, and we had to be there by I don't remember what time, but it was like ten thirty or eleven. It's like we had to be up early because we wanted to leave early enough because it's Costa Rica and driving in Costa Rica, you never fucking know. And um, but here we are. It's like midnight, and they have like a thing where after they herp, they all go back to his little restaurant because like they live there. It's the Eco Zoo. They have a little restaurant. They have a couple bungalows where you can stay overnight. And uh, they drink, you know, they have a little food, they have some shots of tequila or whatever. And 
so yeah, so we went back to have shots with them because like they're our hosts, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, can't be rude. You can't be rude. So we go and hang out. And um, next thing you know, he disappears and we don't even know it. And fucking sure enough, he comes out with a full grown, just massive Bushmaster. <laughs> After the couple of shots? After the shots. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah. behind her. I'm like this. And I'm like, yeah, boy. And here he comes. And it was actually cool because he thought we were staying the full day the next day. And we're like, no, we're, we're going to Tarkalase to see the crocodiles. And he's like, oh, he's like, I wanted you guys to come over and play with the Bushmasters and, you know, and spend more time. So I was like, no, it's cool. Like, I understand. Like, maybe next time we'll come down to Costa Rica and we'll do it. He wouldn't have that, you know, as an answer. So he just snuck away while we're drinking shots. And sure enough, Bushmaster comes out. And it was, dude, you talk about an impressive fucking animal. I mean, that thing was huge, calm, very calm. Uh, it's like, I think he's had it for 12 years or something like that. He's had it for years. So, like, it, it was a very calm animal, but man you, you just have to respect it because it's just so awesome yeah that's one of those iconic animals yeah i took that pictures. it's just like you're you, so you lucky my, to see you know my partner with the youtube and all the other stuff uh dan i took pictures and like made him think we found one he was so pissed <laughs> <laughs> put him in some leaf litter or something well that's yeah the guy actually has that set up for pictures he has like a rolling setup that he can put the snake on and it's like a built nat naturalist built picture background thing so that was pretty neat but i need i need one of those just for instagram pictures man yeah i bill love Steagle that supposed, i gotta find out what happened with bill steagle he was supposed to have a national geographic guy building a whole thing because they wanted to film the green tree python coming out of the egg and going up into like a branch so like they were supposed to be at bill steagle's filming that and the guy's like oh yeah i'll build the whole scene just do you have a home depot near you and he's like yeah he's like that i'll get everything i need there and he's i i don't have to ask bill next time i talk to him but it it probably goes to show you that you can make a little indonesia just by going just oh, with a yeah probably a couple hundred bucks and a home depot yeah you can build yourself a little indo i thought that was pretty neat i was like here's this guy's gonna build a little fucking thing that they're gonna film and you know bill's like like you don't know when they're gonna hatch he's like no no we'll just put cameras on it the whole time and yeah they're supposed to film it so it comes out of the egg and goes up onto a tree and makes you wonder about all the nature documentaries you watch after that i guess but uh lots of them are farces or is that one i mean that's and that's also that's a tough scene you're not going to catch that no. you know naturally so something like that i understand yeah i think it's still you're still capturing a, it's still natural behavior in a sense as far oh, yeah. as i mean it's oh. still an animal coming out of an egg i mean it's not captive at that point i mean it's no different than a wild animal i suppose yeah. I other mean, than were, the setting yeah, they were just looking to get a scene for their you know the bigger picture of it so but i thought that was cool i can't wait to see what that is i'll have to ask bill if they did that yet or he keeps hatching out such ridiculous shit anyway <laughs> yeah like they're doing it in like People are going to think that green tree pythons are like black because he has yeah, those right. like black cherry red fucking sickness babies coming out of the eggs and stuff. That's right. I found out the other day that we have a sibling to the remedy of the sickness. So, the oh, buddy, buddy, Buscemi hatched out a green tree. I don't know if you got, do you know, buddy? I don't know if you know, buddy. I don't know him personally, but yeah, I heard buddy, of him. You'll, you, you should be meeting him at Carpet Fest. Just one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. And, uh, <laughs> She she has a green tree from him after four years of the green tree guys fucking getting, talking her into it. But um, 
Yeah, he has. That's uh, a good one to get talked into. Let's be honest. That's well, not because bad. I was the one who told her, oh yeah, you know, you really can't hold them, and yada yada yada. And first time she went to Carpet Fest with me, Buddy Buscemi says bullshit. He brings her downstairs to hold Owens, and it took maybe three more Carpet Fests before next thing you know, she's bidding on a Buddy Buscemi. Uh, what uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Voucher for an animal. So, yeah, we got one of Buddy's animals here, and it's uh, Buddy hatched out an animal that he called the remedy to the sickness. <laughs> so he told me the other day that that's, that's a sibling to it. I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. But we have one green tree python for now. Yeah, yeah, I have one too. It's just uh, you like to look at it every once in a while. It's a cool snake. It's cool because I had two many, many years ago. And I would not have bought one. Like, I wouldn't have gotten one, I don't think. Um. But she wanted it, so she got it. And, uh, oh, man, it's such a cool-looking animal. And watching the change right now is pretty cool. It's it's going from a, – it's a red neonate, but it's it's starting to get lighter. And the black on it is has gone, like, blue. So, like, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how it turns out because it's from Buddy. So, like, it's, you know, top of the line. I'm, I'm excited. And now I've heard through, like, different localities and stuff, some – seem to change over a few sheds but mine mine i swear changed in like fucking five days man i was i was pumped to be like oh i'm gonna look at all the different phases that yeah. thing turned in like just a few days i've seen yeah i don't know i've seen both ways with that this seems to be slower right now like i said it's not dark you can see it's starting to lighten up in some spots and uh the like i said a lot of the black uh the line black has turned like a blue so yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens. I mean, I'm wait I'm waiting for the next shed. It's got a shed soon. Uh, I just fed it tonight, so I'm I'm thinking maybe a little, maybe before another feed they might shed. I'm curious to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. It's just no matter what, end up with an awesome animal, just like just like the Clemmeride. Just a, I mean, and the green tree pythons. At the end of the day, it's gonna Dude, be I, a green snake. I'll tell you what, I haven't been this nervous about an ant, a python being in the room and and the care of that python for many many years like i'm cocky as fuck i'm humble as hell but i'm also cocky as fuck when it comes to my python ability and like dude that thing came in the house and like i'm so fucking nervous about it still i'm nervous about it because first it's it's an animal from buddy it's a green tree python it's got me nervous it's her animal i'm like oh man like every shed i'm like uh i'm like it's you know I haven't been nervous like this in a long time. And I keep white lips. I keep the scrubs. Like, that's nothing. Like, I don't even blink at that stuff. Like, the care of that stuff. This, like, even though I'm doing exactly what Buddy said, like, I said, here's what I got and how I'm going to set it up. And he's like, dude, you're, you're meant. That's that's beautiful. I'm still, like, uh, so nervous. But, I wouldn't sweat it. Yeah, well, my wife's crazy, so. <laughs> 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 no, nah, she wanted that animal for years now and she, you know she didn't just get like any green tree python she got one from buddy who's like the man and you know from day one he's like i got the animal for you he's like don't worry he's like do you he's like he actually asked her do you want a, do you want to watch the change or just get one that's already a little older and, and she's like oh i want to watch the chain so he's like he didn't even give her a ch choice of what she was getting he's like i got the one for you yeah and Buddy doesn't mess around, so. Yeah, but he's that's such, always. Uh... He's such a good dude, and like, yeah, he's just one of the nicest guys. Like, I love talking to him, and um, 
having a green tree python from him in here just it means the world to me. So and I said, you'll meet him at Carpet Fest. There's, there's gonna be such a group of great people there. Yeah, I can't wait to meet everyone. But uh, Melissa's not here to usually nudge me and tell me to wrap up the show. So that's right. I'm She'll start do it. nudging me soon. I'm gonna do it all on my own. So uh... look at you go. <laughs> So what do you guys, one last question, um, whether it be besides the one uh, electric blue day gecko, what are some animals that you're looking or some species that are on your radar going into the future? I'll let you answer first. Um, I don't think I want to know what her answer is to this, but. <laughs> Hopefully you guys match up. The one that I wanted. The day gecko? Yeah. Yeah, she wants another day uh... gecko. Um. I can't remember the exact one. Oh my gosh. I can't remember the name. Yeah, I can't remember the name either, but she does, there is another day gecko that she wants. It's much harder to get. Uh, not as hard as a female electric blue, but pretty close. And uh, it kind of expensive, so uh, we haven't done it yet. And honestly, the, the room factor is tough. But we got some, actually, we got some cages kind of opening up. Well, not really, but because... <laughs> Geckos are growing up, and I had a we had a our last frog just recently died, so that cage opened up, and then uh, yeah, the mossy leaf tail I'm selling to my buddy, uh, that's gonna open up a cage, but it's like her lychee's getting bigger, and gargoyles and everything else is growing, so it's it's hard to find open space, but yeah, there's another day gecko she wanted, um, really colorful, really like uh, fuck, I can't remember what they are. I can't remember the name of it. But I guess that's your answer in our day echo for me. Oh man, I—it's that's such a hard question, and I've actually thought about it myself. I'm in a weird spot where I'm the most content I've ever been um, in the hobby with what I have, with um, desire for anything. Like, it's actually funny. I don't know if you saw recently. Mike Curtin has gone on a tear, getting all kinds of crazy shit, and. Um, it's, it's kind of fun to watch him like get excited for all these random weird species and stuff. It, it's kind of made me like, man, I'd like to see something. Um, the only two things I can really think of right now is more Malukans, but they have to be babies and preferably cap born. If one of my buddies gets it before me, um, or nada, that's right. Felsuma or nada is the gecko that she wants. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, like I said, more Malukans. And the only other thing I could think of is uh, that I recently had a little moment of weakness for where I was like, fuck, I might wouldn't mind working with them is the uh, Madagascan uh, leaf nose gec- uh, snakes. I don't know if you see those. Those are pretty sweet. You know what? Uh, Ryan, uh, how do you say his last name? Dumas? Dumas? Ryan Dumas? He uh, posted some recently. And I was like, fuck, like, you know know what it is for me? It was nostalgia because I remember seeing those in the books I read as a a much younger keeper. And even before I was keeping animals, you see pictures of them like, what the fuck? A snake with like a fucking leaf on its nose? Like that's something different. And I, you know, I actually was talking to him about their, their care and stuff. And they're actually not terribly difficult to keep, it seems. But um, that's the only thing that really has uh, been on my radar lately, but minimally. Like I said, I'm... I'm the most content I've been um, with what I have. I have most of the stuff I would like to keep, I think, for the most part. 
Are there people captive breeding those? I've seen imports, but I don't I know. Think, if uh, I think most of them are. What did he say? I think a lot. I think mostly imports still. Um, yeah, I. I don't know if there's really anybody captive breeding them at all. I'm not sure. Now you're gonna. You make me want to ask you like 20 more questions, even though we're supposed to wrap it up. So I'll stop on the leaf and was Melissa's, Melissa's not here. It's okay. I won't tell her. Your wife's still going to kill you. Oh, no, she's all right. She's and I don't know her that well, you. but she may also kill me. No. Um, do you know, do they, are they, you know, my assumption would be that they're lizard eaters, but. Um, the, leaf, the leaf knows? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that would probably be the number one thing that would make me hesitate is there are no leaders. But you could probably get him. I mean, that could maybe happen, I imagine. So does Ryan have a pair or does he care for them? At I feel the like zoo? he cares for them at the zoo. He has cared for them at the zoo. I think he might have some privately. I'm not positive, though. I'd have to look back. Yeah, it's a, it's a little cool snake. Yeah. He he posted pictures I, and I messaged him and we had a discussion about it. And I, I feel like he does have... You know, I think he does have some privately now, but he has cared for them in the past at the zoo. Yeah, that's one of those things. Cool snake um, diet. I don't know. That'd yep. be tricky, man. Yeah, I I could probably make it happen. There's probably some places you can order them and just freeze them or something. But yeah, I wish there was a way to. You would think since you know anoles seem to multiply so readily in Florida, they're all over the place. You would think there'd be some way to breed them efficiently at a decent price, but there really isn't. Just two probably eggs not. at a time just yeah, isn't enough. It'd be annoying, <laughs> I, I think. I think it, at least with where we're at. Like, I don't even breed our own rodents just because it's. I don't have time for that amount of work. I'd just rather pay my buddy and get, you know, a few bags of frozen frozen rodents. It's just easier. So, yeah, it. I would have to buy – I'd have to find a, a supplier and – do it the hard way. I think a lot of people, because you know, through corn snake, corn snake, we use anoles to uh, to scent a lot of uh, rodents for babies. But I think that I don't know anyone who buys. You know, they end up having to buy like the wild caught Florida stuff. I mean, oh, I think and you, you assume the risk. Anybody would have to be doing. I, I I think that's probably the best source, right? I would imagine the wild caught stuff. Yeah, that's all we got. Yeah. But um, Melissa just sent me some clock emojis on the, uh, <laughs> on the chat. <laughs> so uh, where can they get in touch with you? Uh, what do you sell your geckos under? Is it the same? Is it NY Herp Revolution or is it something else? Um, well, I do have my own Instagram. Um, so if I have any animals, I'll post them up there. It's uh, chefal845 and that's my Instagram. Yeah, her Instagram is her own and my my own. My yeah, my Instagram is New York Herp and and uh New York Herp underscore revolution. And then uh I have an email address, Morelia Life thirty three at Gmail. Uh I really need to actually go through that because I saw some emails looking for the link that you were gonna send me. I was like, Oh, I need to reply to a couple of emails here from people that have emailed me about reptile stuff, but um, and then, yeah, we got the, the YouTube, me and Dan, although we haven't made a video in a while, just life's too fucking crazy, but that was Reptile Revolution Project. But definitely go check it out, especially, um, 
man, Dan's collection is outrageous. So Dan, Dan's a fun character. Sadly, I don't think he's going to be with me at Carpet Fest. He was with me at the last two, right? Yeah, he was with me at the last two. I don't think he's going to make it to this one. Um, but he's a character, dude. He is a ball of laughs um, and super passionate, super smart guy. And uh, it's cool because in New York, um, real quick, New York has pretty strict regulations on what you can keep. Um, pretty much everything dangerous, everything big and dangerous and venomous you cannot have. But Dan is a licensed educator, so he has all the fun stuff. So we love going up to his house every year and we get to play with the big snakes and he's got an alligator and um, he has a Nile crocodile. I think that's probably the only one in private hands for God's sake. It's small. That's crazy. <laughs> and, um, but he's got some cool native stuff too. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And Dan's a really good friend and just a, just freaking hilarious. So unfortunately I don't think he's viewing this year. But, uh, but yeah, with that, we have the, the YouTube and then uh, also my blogs, which I've been real bad about lately just because I've been lazy. Uh, but those are on medium.com. You just search my name and the blogs come up. I think that's Sweet. And we will link all of that stuff below. And we are Port City Pythons, or I am today Port City Pythons. Mr. You can check Melissa, us out. We'll talk soon. <laughs> fortcitypythons.com we have of course shirts available we have like i said the sumatran short tail maybe a few things up on morph market but nothing up on the website um other than that guys that's really it thank you all for listening thank you scott and valerie for hanging out with me thank you and uh, and we will catch you guys later